All right, Matthew, it's, uh, it's time. We're talking Chernobyl. This is something we've wanted to do for a while. We have uh, taken a Battlestar Galactica hiatus in, uh, in, uh, in a decision to pursue something that is very interesting, very hot, and um, very different for us. There's a lot of advantages to it. The, uh, the cynic will say, you guys are just trying to capture whatever, and that's not wrong. But it also has to be interesting. <laughs> There's plenty of new shit we do not discuss. That's true. And um, can't hop on every hype train. I mean, on. if that was the case, we would just do an MCU podcast, right? And we'd right. be on the top of the world. But no, in all, in, all ser- in all seriousness, uh, this is going to be an interesting little side experiment for us that I'm looking forward to. And that is discussing the HBO series Chernobyl miniseries to be specific. I'm, I think it's only five episodes, which suits us just fine. And um, mm-hmm. we are going to be, if you're listening on YouTube live, we're going to be releasing these on the science fiction film podcast feed. So that's the move. That's what we plan to do. They're not, we, we toyed with making a couple available and putting the rest behind our paywall and bonus. We talked, we, we, we had a lot of different things we just discussed and we ended up landing on, let us, um, let us just put it on the science fiction film podcast. We'll put it out there. And um, most people who are searching for podcasts will uh, just search for titles and will pop up. And then all of our current listeners don't have to worry about finding a new feed and those of uh, those of those of the people that listen to our podcast will not have to pay to listen to this. So that was the decision, and that's how we landed on this whole thing. And um, it was a subject that was of great interest to me. And um, having lived during the, this disaster and not knowing anything about it when I was a kid, truth be told, nobody did. Obviously, um, that was sort of the way the Soviets kind of ran shop. But uh, this was, there was a lot of shit going on in 86, man. There was, uh, you know, Bill Buckner, who just died crazy, blowing that play at first place. There was the Challenger. There was fucking, Patriots got smashed in a Super Bowl. There was, <laughs> I remember many, many things being 10 years old, and Chernobyl was one of them. And strangely enough, I don't remember anything about it at all, other than I knew it was a thing, and it was something crazy that happened. Um, I mean, what was... I, was the news coverage of it like in America? I mean, I was, it, was I, it a big, major thing? I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm a Chernobyl expert because I was alive. Yeah. You know, like those <laughs> assholes. That's not me. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Didn't watch the news, um, so I don't. I don't really remember. I, I I distinctly remember Challenger because I was in the cafeteria and I was like, why are all the adults crying? Yeah, because uh, we actually watched it. They had, they, you know, they, they, you know, those TV carts. They wheeled them into the cafeteria to watch oh, the yeah. explosion. And when it blew up, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of a weird separation." Like my mind didn't. Pro- my mind was in denial. We're going to talk a lot about that. Oh, I was like, man. "Oh, weird." Yeah. Like the like the the way these the way it split apart is that part of the like. Now I'm using language I didn't use when I was ten, but yeah, I'm going to use adult language now, which was, "Oh, that's weird." Like, is that part of the separation process? I didn't say that, but I thought, oh, is this part of the way it works? Probably when I was 10. Right. And then teachers started bawling and I was like, oh, this is weird. I'm going to eat my brownie. That was 50 cents. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird. I have an extremely similar memory with uh, 9-11 because we watched Mm. that live. That was was my childhood event of adults crying at school. Uh, I remember watching the second plane hit live and I'll never forget the second plane hitting live and hearing a kid go, whoa, that was cool looking. Right. That's <laughs> just wild, like that huh? disconnect from reality. Like they're just sure. not fully soaked in yet. 
Yeah, it's nuts. And um, it's funny when you think of when you think of these disasters. You start with Chernobyl, perhaps, perhaps the Challenger, perhaps you know, pick a pick a disaster. Nine Eleven. I mean, Jesus. As far as America goes, the United States, it's uh, it's pretty significant. And now it's now with the information age, you're pretty cognizant of all disasters at all times. You know, right. it's um, you know, if something crazy happens in Sri Lanka, minute by minute, play by play. Um, and that's, you know, there's a lot of that. And it's funny. I think a lot of, I attribute a lot of depression and anxiety to this very fact, which is that we're incapable. I don't think we're, I don't think we've evolved as fast as the technology has to get bombarded with all the information we have. So there is right. something to be said to be ignorance is bliss, you know? And I think, I think if there was a Chernobyl today, we would be like, oh, we know every fucking thing. Like Fukushima, we kind of knew a yeah. lot about, right? But, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting outside of it being in a country that's, sort of off limits or has, uh, you know, uh, their, their own sort of their own, like if it happened in the middle of North Korea, we probably get very little information about it today. Um, so yeah, it's tough to say, but it, it is a weird thing, you know, the idea of information and starting to show off on this theme of uh, sort of denial. That's something that's interesting to discuss and in the root that's of- a major part of this, yeah. Yeah, the root of denial. There's a lot of different themes to explore and talk about here. And, and this will be different for us because we're not talking about- um, story structure. We're not talking about screenplay. Yes, we are in a sense, but we're also talking about it from what I believe is Craig Mazin. Is that the man? Indeed, creator. Craig Craig Mazin's idea of what happened based on his own research. Now, I did something I don't normally do, Matthew. I actually listened to that podcast, just the first episode. Oh. Um, the reason I did that was because I wanted to understand some of the thought process behind what happened, because it's not every day that you have this opportunity. And because we're not dealing with our opinions of story structure, I thought it was good to have some of the facts as far as Craig was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, that podcast was, you know, well-produced as you'd imagine, former NPR host, I forget his name, but it's, it's, it's going to be what it's going to, that's the, all those shows are going to be highly produced. And now what you won't, what you won't get on the HBO podcast, what you may get here, and I'm not saying we're better, but you're going to get probably times where I disagree maybe, or, or I want to, I want to drill down on Craig's interpretations that he was offering on that show where the host is not going to do that. Do you see what I mean? Craig right. Mazin, he's a big fucking shot. You're sitting across from him. You might get cold feet about challenging him on stuff. Fortunately, I don't have that restriction on me. I don't have <laughs> ad revenue I need to worry about. So I have some thoughts and shit about some of the things we saw and I'm really looking forward to talking about. Not to mention, not to mention, we're not, we, 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 we get to do this from a much different perspective. If you want to know Craig's thought processes and what he was thinking and the reason this story exists and why and, some, and, and what it was like, the scout locations and what was some of the things not included, definitely listen to that podcast. I highly recommend it. Check it out. They don't need me pimping it, but I'm being honest, it was informative and I liked it. And there was interesting moments and moments where I was like, huh, interesting take on that you think this about that culture and you think this culture would handle it differently. I don't agree with you. And that's okay. So there's a lot of stuff like that 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 I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about and some interpretations of this and, you know, the the relationship between the Soviet Union and the United States was not good at the time. And I mean, they were a constant bad guy in, in, in entertainment. And um, yeah, man, this is there's a lot on the there's a lot of meat on the bone here at Chernobyl, and I can't right. wait to fucking dive into it. So I'm sort of setting the table. 
I'm going to shut up. I'm going to step away from it a little. I want to know about some of your impressions, sort of just high level impressions of this. And then we'll kind of do what we always do and we'll move scene by scene as Craig Mazin intended us to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, shit, you got me wishing I listened to that podcast. I mean, you might need to check it out. Um, I did do some research and some reading because even going into this, I was very aware of like, I know what Chernobyl is, you know, the, the disaster, the accident. I didn't really know that much about it. I knew it was a late 80s nuclear disaster that was technically the worst nuclear disaster we've seen, even compared to Fukushima. Did um, you know that it was in England, though? Wow, no, that's actually a complete shocker. I had no yeah. idea. I mean, the yeah, accents on this show should have given it away. <laughs> apparently, Chernobyl happened in England. <laughs> fucking hell, my gone nuclear. Oh, fucking you hell. the ash on your tongue. <laughs> Ow, it burns. Oh, it tastes like <sighs> fucking metal out here. Boy, I just love yeah. imagining a first listener who, who Googled <laughs> Chernobyl, got to this episode, and like, wow, they seem like they're taking it very seriously. Oh, whoops. Uh, no, we are, though. We are. We're just going to be idiots. Wow, we do take it seriously. Um, but... No, I what diving into some of that history and in, just into the show itself, I actually really like the show's very tight focus on the present of that event. The, you know, the immediate kickoff of it, and then the you know we've only watched episode one, but it seems like it's going to have a pretty narrow focus on on the events there in Russia and the months around it, and not too much outside of that. And sure. I like that. I like that. To be honest, I, it got me curious about, well, what was America's perspective on this event? How much did we even know? Like, how much accurate information were we getting? That's another interesting bit of a history that I'd like to learn about and would do a little more research on. But I'm glad the show's not going to try and tackle all of that. I'm like, pick your characters, pick your important players uh, that were directly there, and let's just dive sure. into that. Because the history of this has been very... Very muddled. Uh, it's taken a long time for really good, solid reporting and accounts to get out about all of this information. Like, there's, there's been some books in the past, yeah, I know, three, four years that have finally come out that have a lot more information we've ever had. Yeah, awesome. But uh, also, dude, everybody talking about this show as a horror show, I can't wait to talk about the tone. Sure. I think it's, they're pretty dead on with that. And I think it was an interesting and good choice to, to essentially approach it in the way of a creeping, Fucking like almost uh, like uh, ancient horror kind of feel to it. This uh, a feeling of dread. There's a quote that I'm often reminded of that I don't really know who said it. Um, <laughs> maybe you know, but um, it, it's the uh, it's the um, uh, the truth is sometimes stranger than fiction, right? Right. I don't know. That's not exactly the, the quote, but you know what I'm saying. That that sort of sentiment, and uh, it's funny, man. You think about that here and you're like, yes, yes, this is unreal. It's really, um, it is terrifying. It does have a horror feel to it. Jason Tick in the chat actually said, I don't want to get too, too ahead in the episodes, but the show reminds me a lot of Dunkirk. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that he brought that up. And um, if you're curious, we do record all of these shows live. If you're just finding us for the first time, we record these live on YouTube. So check out our schedule on the website. And that's this. In, in Dunkirk, you never really saw a, uh, uh, a German face. Right, it, right. It, it was very much this, this force, as it were, that was unstoppable. This juggernaut, this relentless force. And, and in Dunkirk, they are attacked with such relentlessness that it has a mechanical quality to it, right? Right, right. Which has a German quality to it, so to speak. And what's interesting about that is this, is this is like, like Jason sort of saying there, 
and and obviously he's seen more of it than I have. And that and that we should make clear. We are not we are not going to be spoiling episodes ahead. Just the no. episode we're discussing because we haven't seen ahead. But this idea of this idea of this force of nature being represented in a horrific way. You know, it's a it's a it's a horrible thing to imagine Chernobyl and then to almost structure it with a horror type of screenplay is interesting, right? Which is it happens where, where and, and then it's the reaction and the response to it, like you said. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that structure. What are some of your insights there? Well, I mean, like, kind of like just to keep going on what you're saying, I like that. I mean, essentially Chernobyl was the first, in a lot of ways, the first real nuclear disaster at all. Um, and we were still not even totally sure of what the effects of radiation, massive mm-hmm. radiation would be on people. Sure. Um, and I think that's part of the the scary undertone that the show smartly kind of taps into of this creeping unknown. It's not just that, oh, it's scary. There's, you know, there's not like creepy violin music. It's just an ominous pulsating, you don't even know what this is going to do to you, but you know it's bad. Uh, we can't, we don't yes. know how to even react to it yet. We can't anticipate it and be prepared for it. Uh, there's that great small scene in the hospital where, where that, I think that one doctor is looking out the window like, do we have iodine tablets? And the other doctor's like, why, what do we, why do we even need that? But she's already starting to just think of possibilities. But like, that's it. That's all people have is just kind of grasping for straws. I mean, uh, cleaning up and and repairing the damage and helping the injured for a, a nuclear disaster was an unknown. There was like I actually watched a good interview with uh, Jared Harris, who who plays you know the guy who at the very beginning and at the very end, who I, I guess is going to go on to be the main character in the, sure. in the next episodes. Um, but he was even talking about like they there was no blueprint for how to react to this. I mean, it's kind of insane that they even just sent in firefighters. Like that shouldn't they probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. But what else do you do? There's a fire. Um, right, they right. Just react right. how they know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. You know, this is. This is um, this is one of the interesting things about it. But before you move past the music point, I, w- I want to hang on that for just a second because you know the the composer and and I and I'm sorry I'm not going to pronounce the last name correctly. It's Hilder, I think Goodna Goodna daughter. Ooh. I can't do it. But Gua Guan Guana daughter. Uh, I don't I don't know Icelandic. But that's why it's so difficult. It's a really cool name. But she, I believe it's a she. Boy, I'm an idiot if I got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, she's a she. <laughs> I believe she did Sicario Day of the Soldado, which is interesting because the um, that the sound the, it's a soundscape, right? Right. You would say it's not it 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 lacks it lacks melody, and I think that's important because there, there's a quality to mechanical sounding music, and I really like that. And you know it's similar to Johan Johansson. You know he did uh, he did the original Sicario score, right? Which Arrival. has the same quality in, in Arrival. And they brought this person in to do Sicario too, which was a good choice because the music was very similar tonally. And i i think I think I like the choice to make the music the way it it, it is done because without a melody, when it's sort of atonal and it's a, and it's a lot of soundscape kind of stuff, and it has an electronic feel to it, it makes you it doesn't humanize sort of the fear. Like you can't, you, <laughs> the Joker has a theme. Leatherface has a theme. Darth Vader has a theme. It personifies something. This doesn't personify anything. And I think right. that works really well for it. It's just a sense of impending doom. And right. I like I that. Mean, 
what is a melody except for a pattern that we recognize? And as you listen to it, you start to know what comes next. Like you're, you're able to anticipate the notes. And without a melody, it's just this ominous fucking tone where like, I don't know what this could do or how it could change. And that's, that's the fear of the whole thing, man. Like that's, uh, and I think the way you said it too, of, of like not humanizing radiation, because it's not something evil. Like this is not an enemy. Correct. It's just a natural substance doing what it does if it's caught in the open air. Like it, it's just something beyond us. Right, right. And, and it is like, like you said, you know, you said this a few minutes ago and they're, and they're kind of having a side chat in it, in the live chat right now, this idea of not really understanding radiation and its effects on people that that's a that's a reality you know that and i think that's why there was a lot of mishandling of this and then and plus there's the denial piece of it and and it's and it's and it's crazy you know it's the 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 firefighter teams that were rushing towards the collapsing towers getting just pummeled with asbestos in 9-11 it's the same kind of thing it's like i mean this is just what we we don't really know that this is futile we're just going to react and respond the way we're supposed to react and respond. Yeah, we're going to go job. in there and try to f- and try to extinguish the fire. Try to see if there's people we can save. And that's the thing, you know, firefighters going in there. A, a lot of it isn't just oh, we want to contain the thing. It's like we want to get fucking people out of there. Like we're we're right. our training is to rescue people. It's to it's to that's what what it is to do. And that's you know that's one of the things I struggled with when when. And it's just, you know, it's just sort of two talking guys. But one of the things Craig Mazur said, Mazin said when he's talking about this, and he was, tra- he was talking about, you, you know, um, how the Soviet Union handled it and how he theorized America would have handled it. I was like, yeah, maybe, but, but it's really tough to say, isn't it? Because regardless of whatever flag you salute in the morning or don't salute in the morning, one thing is common human beings are known to sacrifice themselves to save other human beings. And some human beings don't. And that's just the way it is. And, and I think it's important to always remember that because there are tales from every culture all over the world where, they, where noble sacrifice becomes a thing. And it's the oh, yeah. truth. And, you know, I, I know there's another, there's an After Buzz HBO, um, there's an After Buzz podcast, Chernobyl, that got some bad feedback because... Their interpretation was that the guy at the end was going to look in the reactor because of fear of being shot. And people were very critical of that idea. They're like, it's American propaganda, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into that because I don't know what he was thinking. And that's right. That's just the reality. I don't know. I, I, I have some theories that, I, that we can talk about when we get to that scene. But, you know, there's, there is that part of it because, you know, he, I think he said something like, um, Here's a direct quote from the HBO podcast from Craig Mason. He said, heartbreaking social circumstance. You are there to support your fellow man and fellow woman. The people often did believe it and feel it. You can see this in all of history of the 20th century in Russia. Some of this was a sense of Soviet civic duty. It is noble, admirable, and beautiful, and profoundly sad underneath it. Okay, that's fine. And then he says, if this had happened in the United States, I think it would. I think that would happen is that we would have evacuated there quickly and they just put a rope around it and said, you can't go there anymore because people will die. I mean, they kind of do that in Chernobyl anyway, don't they? Isn't that right? I don't know, but I'm I'm pretty sure the end result is you can't go there anymore. But to I know say they people would evacuate it, I, I guess the implication. And listen, I'm interpreting what he said because I didn't have a conversation with him, and that's where I'm saying I kind of disagree because the 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 interpretation of that is that the way he's positioned the two statements is oh they are doing it out of a sense of civ- civic duty. Well, American people. 
and English people and African people and Japanese people and Chinese people and Korean people sacrifice themselves for their fellow man all the time. And I, and I was like, I don't love this interpretation. Like, (laughs) and and it's a theory. He knows way more about Chernobyl than I do. I just want to make that clear, but he's theorizing that America would have handled different. And I challenged that a little bit. And that was one of the things as we're talking about this, you know, this idea of sacrifice and charging in there. Like, dude, what are you talking about? People do that all the time. I think, Right. I think on the human side of things, I think just about any country would handle it. Hundred percent. Human beings involved would handle it pretty much the same. I think there is probably something to be said about the government hierarchies and the culture of the governments that you know changes things and you know, we would approach some of this differently as far as who to call and how much information is being honestly spread. Because, you know, this fear of reprisal and fear of, you know, I think uh, especially in this episode. The main chief engineer, Dyatlov, uh, I think he knows from jump, I think he is so deep in denial because he knows it'll be his head on the chopping block if this really does get out as a, you know, unmitigated fucking disaster and somebody's to blame. Sure. He's like, it'll probably be me. I think that's definitely in the back of his mind, um, which is part of why he's probably just so like, no, 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 it can't be that. That's not That's not possible. One thing I like to do too, and, and, and I think you know me pretty clearly, and people who are refining this for the first time because it's Chernobyl, well, they're getting both barrels. I think you know me <laughs> enough to know that I, when, when, you know, certain people criticize certain governments, like one of my pet peeves is when people in other countries criticize other countries' governments. And I'm like, it's, it's all of them. It's all of them. It's all of them. <laughs> like it is. I like, I don't, I, I don't want to descend myself and you know, you know, I've had many intimate conversations about this into like this collectivist ideology, like America would have been more transparent. We would have been cooler. We would have been awesome. No, I'm not saying there's more nobility in the government, like right. governments the world over as far as I'm concerned. Meh. <laughs> and on the, in the same token, I think people are meh and awesome all over. And that's just right. the way it is. Like, I think, I think too often we get embroiled in like these nationalistic ideologies, which is like, oh, they're monsters and we're not, we're noble. Nah, you're a monster and you're noble and they're a monster and they're noble. Like, that's right. why I'm, I want to, I want to make sure as we're talking about Chernobyl here that I'm cutting through the bullshit here, because I'm assuming as we've already got hinted at in this very first episode, we're going to see some sort of and pardon, pardon the lack of terms, we're going to see some pretty villainous behavior from some of these Russian people and some pretty heroic behavior from some of these Russian people. And that Absolutely. is people everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think only when the rest of it starts to come into play as far as like, uh, let's have a judgment about how this was handled or how was it handled poorly? Was it handled well? I think once it gets into the aftermath of how much information is going to be released by the agencies involved and who's going to start being blamed, that's when you, I feel like is the only time you can start making judgments about, well, this government would handle, this is how they handle these kinds of things. This is the kind of punishments they dole out. And this is how, you know, these authorities are used there. And that sure. might be different from here and there but especially like boots on the ground trying to put out a fire i think human beings are human beings and you know we try to help one another <laughs> you, sure. you know and that's that's another thing i think is a nice um kind of divide in the show that you can already see forming even in the first episode is between the people on the ground like the firefighters who are right there picking up pieces of fucking graphite on the ground to the guys in the suits back behind you know closed doors going okay well how how do we handle this in, in the sense of a PR and a sense of damage control and thinking about it in a more abstract way versus I think anybody who is feeling the heat
heat of the fire on your face and you see your friends hurting, you're just going to help. You're just going to dive in and, and help. Sure, sure. And I Now, that's not to say, and I want to make it very clear, that's not to say different types of governments in place, in my opinion, are more ideologically sound compared to others. That's my opinion. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I, you know me, I am very pro Liberty. I think, I think the more freedom people have, generally speaking, the better, the, the better, uh, the better results you're going to get, the better country you're going to get, the more flourishing you're going to get versus the more, I, I think the closer you get to totalitarianism, the worse it is. And the more you get towards Liberty, the better it is. I will always think that as far as the spectrum goes. And that's just the way I think. So I just want to make it clear. I'm not saying the United States government in the Soviet government in 1986 was the same. Clearly it wasn't. It's not. <laughs> I'm just saying that there are good and bad people the world over. And that's something that's important to remember when we're doing this in that I don't, in that, yes, you know, cause we've talked about, and a lot of times it's in jest, we're talking about something fictional. We've talked about, you know, the samurai, the honor, they're going to do this crazy thing. They're going to sacrifice, going to do this thing for the, and, and it's, and it's, you know, a lot of times we attribute nobility to the romanticizing of the Bushido way, which as we've learned in our research, maybe wasn't what we exactly all think it is. Right. And right. at the same time, but but at the same time, that's not to say, uh, you know, a Russian guy can't do it. A guy from Zimbabwe can't do it. A guy from Egypt can't do it. A guy from Afghanistan can't be that way. A guy from, you know, it's, I don't like, I don't like when we forget that, that at the end of the day, we're all human beings and that there's some sort of, uh, there's, there's some inherent stuff in there that I think is pretty universal, regardless of whatever government that's either closer to totalitarianism or closer to liberty that is fucking putting its booty on all its citizens' neck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's just, the, I'm, I am, in other words, I am, what am I trying to say? What's, uh, what's the word? I'm optimistic about people and I'm pessimistic about governments. That's probably <laughs> the best way to summarize me. Right. There you go. I can see that. <laughs> so, awesome, awesome primer. I'm pumped. Are you pumped? Bum. I mean, I'm pumped, but it's like, it's brutal, but I'm pumped. It's a, it's a fucking <laughs> bummer. I can't wait to talk about ionized air, you know, and nuclear fallout falling on children's faces. It's <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> laugh riot, as yeah. they say. A laugh uh, riot. All right. So why don't we, um, why don't we dive? Do you have any other opening impressions or, or are you good? Are you primed? I'm I'm primed. I'm ready to dive in. I'm ready to definitely, I wrote down a good uh, opening chunk of Jared Harris's dialogue. I wrote the whole yeah. thing down if you need it. Yeah. Oh, baby. I mean, <laughs> I got I think a couple of most... spots. I can assure you that that <laughs> little uh, ridiculous prostate bullshit that guy was spilling at the end, I wrote that thing down too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew that. Watching oh. that scene, I was like, oh, Dean's going to scarf that up. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I started tying a bandana on my face. I'm like, where is he? <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine! <laughs> oh, oh shit, man. I was about to tar and feather that bitch and throw him in the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> that doddering old man. I was going to tar and feather that old bastard and throw him in the harbor. Into Kicking the, his sun-spotted <laughs> head for freedom. <laughs> into, the bo- uh, into, into the Boston Harbor. No more tea taxes. <laughs> so um, we open Chernobyl, 12345, name of the episode. As we're going to learn, also known as the Vladimir I. Lenin Nuclear Power Station. Nice. Oh, yeah. So, let's talk about the open, Matthew. Why don't you kick this off, get this dialogue going. 
Absolutely. We have our boy, Jared Harris, who I'm a fan of uh, for his portrayal of Lane on Mad Men. He's fucking excellent in that show. Really good character. Um, and he played, I think he actually was uh, Ulysses Grant in Lincoln, hmm. which was which is a nice little pop-up cameo in that movie. But he's excellent, and he plays Valer, uh, Valery Legasov, the deputy director of the Kurtatov Institute, brought in to aid the cleanup efforts. Uh, but this is this is in the future. We are, we are past the Chernobyl disaster, and we see him sitting alone in his apartment, Speaking into a tape recorder, he's actually playing it back right here. And I'm just going to read this whole first paragraph because I think this is Please the, do. this is especially the meat of it. Uh, it opens with, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer recognize the truth at all. What can we do then? What else is left but to abandon even the hope of truth and content ourselves instead with stories? In these stories, it doesn't matter who the heroes are. All we want to know is who is to blame. Dude, that is, for mm. one, it's a very meta comment. Say, say I would it again. Say, say that again. Read that again. Oh, That's the, good. the last sentence? Yeah. yeah. What else is left but to abandon even the hope of truth and content ourselves instead with stories? In these stories, it doesn't matter who, are the, who the heroes are. All we want to know is who is to blame. Mm. Uh, and what are we left with talking about Chernobyl? A story made by HBO. A yeah. story. The meta, and, the, like, the meta irony is not lost on me. Absolutely. And I mean, here we are. I mean, like, and that's, that's a good way of, of framing it that at the end of the day, even that, that's what history is, is thoroughly researched stories that we tell ourselves to explain what happened. I mean, that's all that history is. I mean, even the most definitive, thoroughly researched account is still at the end of the day, a story supported by dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and thousands of people's different stories to, you know, to cross check evidence and make a definitive guideline of this is what happened. Um, and I think the special, the the real point of this entire show, what it sounds like, if, if it's if it's laid out its thesis, I think it is what is the cost of lies. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we, that's the opening line of this series, and I imagine that's going to be at the heart of it. Yeah, that the, and the haunting part is that we no longer recognize the truth at all, right? <clears throat> right. Oh, that's the scariest shit, man. Yep. Um, we also we also get the second paragraph, which we don't need to read the entire thing verbatim because it's not as important as the first half in terms of tone as far as I'm concerned, and I think that's a good choice by you. Is, uh, uh, how do you say it, Dyatlov? Dyatlov. Dyatlov. Dyatlov, Anatoly, yeah? Um, yeah. Dyatlov. So um, <laughs> the man doesn't deserve prison, he deserves death, right? Damn. I believe that's how he ends that last paragraph. Right. But right. instead, he gets 10 years for criminal mismanagement. What does that mean? No one knows. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that to them, justice has been done. Because you see, to them, a world is a, a just world is a sane world. Um, he then says, there was nothing sane about Chernobyl. What happened there, what happened after, even the good we did, all of it madness. While I've given you everything I know, they'll deny it, of course. They always do. I know you'll try your best. And... Um, Essentially, we see him stash the tapes, feed his cat, and then kill himself. Um, one right. thing I learned from the um, from the um, podcast, which again I think is good, by um, Craig Mazin, the one uh, the HBO official one, is that they discuss uh, Legasov having uh, a family, and he was like, "I kind of left him out because I, I didn't. It didn't really. It didn't really." It didn't really serve the story for what he was going for, which made sense. I'm I'm kind of butchering his exact reason, but he left the family out, and he has a good reason for it. Right. Um, so yeah, the guy uh, hangs himself, and then bang, the title card comes up, and we go to Pripyat, Ukrainian SSR, Ooh. two years I and also, one minute earlier. 
I gotta say, I love, it's a small thing, and maybe he didn't even mean it this way, but I interpreted it this way, how he feeds his cat, and his cat, when he, the sound of him kicking the stool and dropping down and dying, you know, hanging himself, is we hear it while we watch the cat. Yeah, while we watch the cat just sit there and eat its food, oblivious to what's happening around it. I'm like, that's what a microcosm of this whole thing, that, oh, I'm just eating food, I don't know, what's happening? Look at you, two points, that's a good, that's a good connection. Swish! Yeah, the cat's like, what's that noise in the other room? I don't know, I'm hungry. <laughs> Anyways, fucking frisky treats. <laughs> um, one of the things I learned from that podcast was uh, the, the people, he asked a lot of locals, they're like, oh, we didn't have cat food. Well, that didn't exist. Oof. We just fed the cat, it's like our food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to chop up my fish a little smaller. Here you there's go. There's no, uh, you know, there's no uh, like actual brands of cat food. But. So we go to Pripyat, Ukrainian SSR, two years and one minute earlier. Damn. Socialist Soviet do. Republic, by the way, if you don't know what SSR means. Indeed. Um, and this, dude, I love this point of view of seeing the actual explosion from very far away. Uh, you know, it's something that happens and everybody hears it. But it's just far away enough to be like, oh, well, you know, it's not a mushroom cloud. And maybe things are, maybe it's just a fire. Things are okay. Right. I like the, um, I, I like that. I like the little misdirect here with her vomiting. You're like, right. whoa, wait, wait, Because, wait. you know, be, be, because the 2019 audience is, knows, okay, people are going to vomit. I've, I've seen Battlestar Galactica, right? Have you seen Canine Widowmaker? Anytime people get Oof, dosed yeah. with radiation. You're like, oh, they're going to throw up, right? Right, right. That's a part of it. Yeah. But yeah, she's just preggers. <clears throat> just preggers. And we, this just starts happening. Oh, man. Right. And and it it, is, this, this woman's name is Ludmila, right? I think so. Yep, Ludmila. And her, um, and uh, she is pregnant. And that's, that. the way they do this explosion here. You see it, and then boom, it rocks the apartment building. Oh, yeah. That shockwave comes after. Awesome. And then evidently, this was this is a very good depiction of what it looked like from witness accounts. That down to the button. So, down to the button. That's what do you right mean? here. The control room. Oh, you know, I was talking about just the, the, the look of the fire and the, the pillar. Oh, gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah, that, mile that, high, I heard. Yeah, it went all the way fucking up into the atmosphere. And, and that's evidently the air itself ionizing in a column that just goes straight up. Uh, so you already get a sense of how high up all of this pollutants are going. Yeah. Not so good. Yeah, not good. And then there, then there was, um, we cut right to the control room. Yeah. The you said even the buttons were modeled after the, the actual control room? Yeah, yeah. I guess this part of the set piece was pretty... Pretty damn accurate is what I'm nice. is what I'm hearing. Oof, so scary. Anytime you see a control room this big and there are that many flashing sounds and beeps <laughs> and everything's going, you're like, oh fuck, everything's fucked. I don't understand it, but I know everything's bad. Yeah, this is not good. What what have we done here? What's what's the problem? Um, they gave a lot of props to um, I forget his name. I think it's um, Luke Hull. I believe is a production designer. So shout out to Luke Hull. Because he yeah. got a lot of the exacting details of some of this stuff down. Good fucking job. But um, this um, this stuff is incredible. This is this is really something. This next scene. Oh yeah. We and we we zoom in on Diatlov's face, which you got to imagine. I mean, everybody in this room knows a disaster has just occurred. It's right. just about the scale of it that you don't understand yet. But the way we zoom in on Diatlov, I feel like is a little bit of a betrayal that. 
deep down, he worries it's something more. Yep, yep. It's a really slick, it's a really slick shot. It moves from a Dutch angle to a straight on close up of his head and then it sort of fades into white. It's a really, really slick choice there. But um, yeah. it starts with their full on in oh shit mode. Uh, Dyadlov assumes it's bad, but not as bad as reported. He learns that the core, he doesn't really learn the cores no more, but he just, you know, it exploded, right? That's when, per, let me try to pronounce his name. Perev, <laughs> sorry. Oh, Perev, we got a fucking Chen, book Perevchenko. Perevchenko. I'm saying it wrong, but I'm trying. Perev, per, Perevchenko comes in and said it exploded. The core exploded, right? And Dyadlov's like, impossible. Physically impossible. Right. Every, what he's thinking at this point is that it's the, the coolant tank, I believe it is, that, that was full of hydrogen that Correct. blew up. Correct. Um, but they have, yeah, this is such a telling moment when he runs in and straight up says, no, the, the reactor's gone. The reactor exploded. And he's like, right. he's just delusional and in shock. Get him out of here. That's not true. Right. Just completely dismisses it, even what, though they get the truth right here. What I, what I like about this is that it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a a control system tank went up is what Dyatlov believes. And he believed it went up because it got backfilled or filled, however it works, not an engineer, with hydrogen, which is a problem. <laughs> so it blows up. <clears throat> and of course, Dyatlov's like, let's call the fire brigade. Now, Perevchenko is feeling a little bit differently about this. And based on what I had heard on the podcast, a little bit of the reading I'd done, this is not an impossible conclusion for Dyatlov to come to at this point. And the reason right. is because I guess the layout of this thing is that they have four reactor rooms separated by these gigantically long hallways. Mm-hmm. And because of the way the explosion went straight up, it didn't have, you know, if you, you when you imagine a nuclear explosion, you imagine, so you imagine maybe the whole place just being destroyed, right? If you dropped a nuclear bomb on this place, it'd be gone. Oh, so yeah. the, the, I guess what I was, what I was hearing is that the assumption here was that because of the way the explosion sent a lot of its energy straight up in, in a mile high, that this little shake, boom, like that in the room and like the dust falls was like, okay, that's bad, but not the end of the world. Right. Like it's easy to perceive it that it's way. It's easy to perceive it that way based on the way the shockwave hits this room and they're not all on fire. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right. of well, the nature of the way. Right. Because of the nature of the way the core went up, it didn't, it was, it was, not unreasonable for Dietlov to, at this point, assume that it wasn't total devastation. Because right. he's like, well, right. we're still here, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But anyway, he continues on, Dietlov, to be clear, as giving orders as if it's the control system tank that went up. Right, right. And his main concern is getting water into the reactor to get around the fuel rods. He's like, we have to get water pumping in there. That's the priority. That that rules over all because he still thinks that the reactor is intact and they have to cool it down. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's standard operating procedure for a lot of the stuff is, is feed water that they use to keep things cool, right? Right. Not an engineer for the second time tonight. Oh, yeah. But it's almost uh, yeah, like... By the way, did some research, did some reading on uh, RBMK uh, yeah, nuclear reactors. Yeah. Um, couldn't tell you much. <laughs> couldn't tell you much. <laughs> I kind of know what it looks like now, and I know steam and water are involved. I went to school for English, all right? Okay. <laughs> Listen, I know how my Corsair water cooler works on my CPU. I get that. <laughs> and, I know, and I know that sometimes I go down and smack it with a hammer when it's not acting right. <laughs> Here's the good news. If my CPU shits the bed, I do not destroy my neighborhood, which is pretty <laughs> awesome, true. right? A little different. 
Uh, not really uh, going to say I have a, uh, not going to say there's any synergy between these skill sets, but uh, I get it, <laughs> I guess, uh, in a storied way. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I'm the man for the job, okay? <laughs> Chief yeah. engineer. Hire me right now. Feed water. Sure, yeah. Pump it in. Turn the valves. Yikes. Fucking yeah. <laughs> the next three-mile island. It's like, uh, you know, I know guys who went to school for like, uh, you know, boiler room operation. Man, that stuff's intense. All that pressure. Nuts oh getting God. blown yeah. off it at, you know, 700 pounds per square inch, blowing holes in walls. But right. Was, I mean, and long, complicated story short, the initial explosion was exactly that. It was a steam explosion. It was actually the water becoming superheated inside the core, blowing out the core, and then that caused a much worse exposure and further explosion, I think. Hmm. Worser. That's a good one. Worse. He says, yeah, I'm from worse. He, he says he studies English, and then he says worser. Hey, I'm fucking, I'm, I'll, you get on the hot seat, you fucks out there. You come in here and do my job, huh? <laughs> so anyway, cut to Ludmilla. Oh, wait, the pieces of rubble on fire, the graphite. Uh, have, we, have we already come to that yet? Just heated. Like no, we, we get a quick look of it, and then we get that really amazing moment with the call, the Ooh, fire brigade yeah. call. I love that moment. That's honestly the main thing about the, the graphite, which again, can't go into super scientific detail on it, but the, the reason seeing the, just seeing it laying on the ground like that is so terrifying because the graphite is literally the thing around the control themselves. That is from the absolute interior of the core. If you're seeing pieces of graphite all over the place, that means the core is gone. That doesn't mean, oh, a tank exploded or something outside of it, something near it. No, the very interior, absolute center of the core has been blown apart. Cool. Terrifying. Awesome. Oh, hey, in the chat, Galloway says he works in boiler rooms. That's pretty cool. I did not know that. Are you a, um, are you a boiler engineer, Justin? You don't have to say if you're not comfortable, but I'm curious as to like the whole feed water process and using, using, water, using water lines to keep, you know, crazy equipment cool it's that's a really interesting i i am not gonna lie there's a there's the nerd part of my brain that became really interested in this whole process yeah now yeah i mean like i i want to still do more research I, I i hereby promise by episode two i'll have a slightly better understanding of these processes <laughs> yeah the good news is it's unless you're a super most people aren't like well there might be a, a small percentage of people might be watching Chernobyl to know the exacting details of the uh, <laughs> of the process of the nuclear reactor but most people probably just want to know about the chaos and the in the human story i guess yeah, you know the stuff that matters yeah true yeah yeah, right. You're like, I don't care about everyone's like faces boiling off. I want to know about the reactor conditions. Are you? Do you, you weirdo? What did the valves read? <laughs> Tell me what kind of instrument panels they had. I really need to know the details of this stuff. Hey, get this melting guy out of the way. I want to know about the graphs. <laughs> I get it. It's painful. But tell me about the pressure gauges. Ugh, worst critic ever. Yep. Well. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff following here, of course. So we see Ludmilla's man is on the fire brigade, right? Indeed. And he is called out. And he thinks, much like he's probably just been told, oh, it, it's a roof fire. It's, you know, we'll go out there and we'll contain it. It's not a big deal. Probably not even going to take that long. Women's intuition here, Ludmilla. She doesn't like this. Doesn't like the color. Doesn't like any of this. And he's like, no, no, no it's a roof fire. It's fine. Right. And one thing that I like, I feel like they show it very subtly and very well with her character, is that she was already awake when the explosion happened. I think right. a lot of people were woken by the shockwave and didn't really, didn't really consciously hear it or see it and just look out the window and they see a distant fire. Like, I think she's somebody who's like, that shockwave shook our apartment all the way from there. Like, this, 
is it really just a roof fire? Is that yep. really it? Um, and I think that's a, another reason we see a lot of characters with their kids outside later on, just thinking, oh, it's a distant fire. It's nothing. Yep. They didn't feel that initial massive shockwave. And then we, we go to, I believe, 1.35 a.m., right? Alarms blaring. So remember, the episode's titled 123.45. So we're talking a little over 10 minutes later. So things are right. moving quickly for the people at Ground Zero. Oh, yeah. Right. So and, uh, who are we following through the halls. hallway? Is it, I think it's Valera. I believe so. Oh, not going to lie. This is going to be a difficult This is the journey. hardest part of, of this is the names. <laughs> the hardest part. It's really hard. I believe, oh, I believe he is referred to as Valera when he gets there and he starts talking to this guy. If not, I, I apologize. But he's talking to, I believe, Parafchenko again. And they say, he asks of the uh, dosimeter, right? Mm-hmm. And they only have a very small one. It goes up to, I think, 3.6. I love that Parachenko is like, is it war? Are we being bombed? Yeah, he's like, are they bombing us? Right. I mean, uh, that's and, what and you would they think. they is only one they. That's U.S. of A. Oh, yeah. That's the assumption oh, yeah. here, which is crazy, right? Right. But I mean, on either side, and that's not, I mean, if you, were, if you were in America in a nuclear facility and everything started rocking and shaking, oh, and you absolutely. heard distant explosions, you'd be like, is that Soviet planes? Are we getting bombed? Is, My is assumption would be uh, industrial sabotage, but but... Sure, Ooh, maybe planes too, like an agent got in there. Uh, that's too much James Bond. Agent got in there and <laughs> fucking set the reactor core and uh, destroyed Denver or something. I don't know. But, um, and so essentially, Perevchenko gets ordered to uh, help pe- get some people out. And as, as he's going up the stairs, he just vomits. And you Ugh. go, oh no. Like, like it's already I mean, everywhere. 10 minutes, Matt. That's what's, that's what's insane about this whole thing. Oh, it's yeah. 123.45 is the episode. At 1.35 a.m. with alarms bl- blaring, we see a character already succumbing to radiation poison. Oh, and it's a quick... He gets vomited very... on. I'm sorry, he doesn't vomit. But, but the, the same, it doesn't matter. The point is made, right? Oh, yeah. And it's a very quick moment. I actually had to go back and rewatch the scene to catch it. But there's, I think it's uh, Akimov who says it in the control room just after the explosion. I think even before they've determined or made the assumption that it was the, uh, the hydrogen control tank, he says, do you taste that? Do you taste metal? But he's already saying that inside the control room. Right. I mean, yep. seconds later. Yeah. So we start following um, the man who's looking for Victor. And he finds Victor, and Victor is done. Oh, yeah. This Not is good. so intense, man. He's already so burned up. I mean, and you can see the fallout in the air. Yeah, the floating dust particles. Oh, God. I'm, I'm, it's just, what, what's so insane about this is, it's just trying to wrap your head around this whole idea. It's just, and this is where if we had like a, like some sort of expert on, we could say like, tell me about this radiation stuff, man. This is bananas. Like their clothes are fine, but his face is burned. Like, right. Like the right. radiation is, the, the, the air is so ionized that his face is just burnt. It's in, oh. in, in, in seeing, I mean, seeing the fallout, you go, good gravy, man. This is too much. Yeah, yeah, and there's, there's really, I, I could be wrong about this, and I'm almost, but I'm almost certain in 1986, there's not really any truly reliable anti-radiation suits. Like, you're you're never really safe. Uh, it might minimize it some, but I don't think there's any suit you can step into that completely guards you from radioactivity. Right. 
Um, fun fact, steam is what caused the reactor to explode. The water vaporized to steam, causing the explosion. Justin, our, our, our yeah, boiler it. expert here, by the way. Um, also, fun fact, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, but my friend would always tell me this, but isn't steam invisible? I believe, I believe there's steam and then there's the vapor. And you see the vapor, not the steam. Steam is literally invisible. I I think that's the truth. I I feel like a boiler guy told me that once. He said, you know, when we say steam, we're, we, we don't really mean steam. We mean the vapor that you see in the air, superheated steam. That's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. So yeah, superheated steam. You don't see God, imagine that you just turn into a puddle. You don't even see it. I mean, just to imagine, I mean, I think it was uh, Jason Curry also in the chat bringing up about, I mean, steamships. It was so common for oh, steamships in the late 1800s or 1900s just blow up all the fucking time. Steam trains. Yeah. Super Justin, can cut your arm off without you knowing it's there. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. Oof. So um, this thing is getting out of control rather quickly. And um, Victor tells them to get, uh, I think it's Holdemichuk. The K is silent, right? Holdemichuk. Sorry, I'm sorry. Not a, I don't have the dialectic <laughs> to handle the, the true Russian stuff. It's hard. Um, and he's, and we, but before he does that, he looks out and he sees the tanks destroyed. Right, right. I mean, he looks out and just sees not just the tanks, but I mean, it's, it's, I think he's looking out over that whole half of the building that's collapsed. Right. Because right. I think they're still operating off of this assumption that this is some isolated explosion inside of the building that is causing a, you know, a very dangerous chain reaction, but it's still, oh, it's something we can isolate. It's something we can get our hands around. Whereas, right. you know, we, we follow this character to kind of get a look at just the exterior and the, the scope of this. And it's so much bigger than they're assuming it is uh, sure. back in the control room. And the inkling, the, 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 the information I got from the HBO pod was that... Again, what I said earlier, there are these four big buildings with these really long hallways separating them, and it was one of the buildings that got it, which is why right. the sense of urgency there was a lot different than it was, say, a building three buildings away. Right, right, right. For them, there's just alarms and, 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 a, and, a, and a little shaking. rock. Right, right. Yeah. I always wonder that. Chernobyl, it'd be fascinating to think about, and this is where I would love to talk to somebody who knows about nuclear energy, but... Would it would it always have a propensity to blow straight up into the atmosphere? I mean, it's a mile up. That's high. Or high. what what if it didn't? What if it blew like sort of your traditional hydrogen bomb, so to speak, and, and it was like a more of a radius? Obviously, there's still going to be because it's explosion. It can't channel. It's not channeling straight up only like a lightsaber, right? That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> right. Knowing nothing, that doesn't make sense to me. But I wonder, I, had it blown more, say, horizontally than vertically, would it have been treated much differently? I'm assuming it would have been. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, it would be, it, I think it would just, it's a more understandable disaster for, for he, the human eye to look at. Like you understand an explosion like that. I think that's part of what makes this so alien and so terrifying is it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a mushroom cloud. It doesn't have <laughs> this big fiery fireball that's consuming the entire building. It just looks like a bad building fire with, huh, kind of a weird light thing going up in the sky. You kind of really, you don't really know what to make of it. Sure. And so the threat is a little, you know, harder to perceive. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Rosalind Harmon, I can honestly say I do not know a guy who might know about nuclear physics. However, everyone would be dead if it was horizontal. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's a safe assumption. A mile would have wiped them all out. And then oh, maybe you do the, uh, the the rope it off. Call it a day. <laughs> Get out the velvet ropes. Eh, everybody go home. Rope it off. Turn it into a museum. You know, like disgusting pig Americans. I'm joking. <laughs> All right. Um, 
So we're moving on here to the uh, cutback to Dietlov. Dietlov, he gets back to the control room. He's still acting as if the control room system tank is the issue. I need water in my reactor core. That's it. That's all he thinks. That's the priority. That's the priority because that's the standard operating procedure here. Now, not knowing enough about these tanks and the technology makes me, it makes it challenging for me to sort of sympathize why he is in so much denial about the reality of what's happening. Part of me does lend him a little bit of credence because he's not right there, right? Right. Now, that starts to evaporate as he becomes more unreasonable. But in the beginning, I'm like, oh, okay. But this is where we start getting into the dosimeter and the rotgen, I believe is the word. German as fuck. (laughs) Well, the problem here too is, and what I also think is really interesting with the dosimeter is, this is where we get the introduction of some hard facts. I mean, at least it's best that they know at this point that the dosimeter says 3.6, which is maxed out, but it's a very small dosimeter. And he, you know, Dyatlov, Dyatlov says, well, it's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, and what I find really interesting about that oh, is that at, at the yes, end of the show, yes. when they bring when they bring up that same the same exact hard fact, the numbers uh, that it's Jared Harris's character. Sorry, I don't have his Russian name right off the top of my head. Uh, Legasov, Legasov, who says he says, well, that's significant. Like yeah. he's evacuate. Like, he, he orders he, evacuation. Yeah, he says that's significant, and we should you know evacuate. Right. Uh, and it's the the interpretation of the same fact because everybody likes to talk about opinions and facts, but at the end of the day. The way you receive and then act on a fact is still an interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Like the fact might not change, but what you do with that will can change and can be wrong, could be right, could can be interpreted all sorts of different ways. And we see multiple characters hear the same fact and go, "Oh, that's okay. It could be worse." And other characters go, "No, that's that 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 this merits an extreme reaction right now." Right. Rontgen, I believe is how it's said. All right. So here's something I find interesting about dosimeters versus say. Um, what's the other, is it a Geiger counter? What, no, no, one, one is for uh, vibrations in the earth. What's the other one I'm right. thinking? I, I think, know it's the one that Geiger, goes rare. No, is <laughs> Se- The seismograph or whatever is from there the movie go. Tremors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. I remember Pierce Brosnan used it in Dante's Pink. <laughs> uh, I, I was, I was sort you know, dosimeter. I, I know people in the medical profession know what these are. People handle x-rays, things of this nature. But I guess right. this is exposure over time, whereas a Geiger goes, here's how much radiation is here. In this room right in now. In this room yeah. right now. Whereas this is, here's how much radiation you're receiving in doses over time, per hour or something. I don't, I don't know the exact measurement, which I think is fascinating mm. because it's like, good Lord. <laughs> when, when we start getting these numbers later, I almost want to vomit, to be perfectly frank. Oh, God, for real. Brutal. Ugh. But um, yeah, that's, that's where, you know, not great, not terrible. We did everything right. That's an interesting quote in this movie. Right, right. That, it's it's almost is, like this pleading with like fate of like, yes. oh, oh, we did everything right. Yes. Why should something bad happen? Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's a fascinating prospect because sometimes you can do everything right and it doesn't matter. Right. And it's funny. And it's nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault. And it's a really fascinating moment in the show to observe these men coming to that conclusion as it goes on. Right. Ugh. So one thirty a.m. Matthew, the emergency vehicles are heading in. The fire brigade is getting to work. Uh, Misha Ugh. is the man in question. He picks up a 
piece of the graphite. Vasily oh, does not. Vasily, by the way, is Ludmila's man. Yeah. That, that moment where the guy picks it up and is just looking at it, I was already like, oh, God, put it down. Get away from it. Don't fucking touch it. You might as well just fucking kiss a uranium rod. It's brutal. It's it's Ugh. just, I know so little about this stuff. I find it so fascinating that you can reach down, pick something up, hold it, put it Turn down, it over in your and hand. then yeah. later your hand starts burning up. Oh, Whoa, man. Because that with is radiation, crazy. and again, I'm speaking way out of school, but I, it, it's not just that it's burning you. It is already on like a molecular level changing the, the bonds of the fucking molecules in your body. Like it, it's, it's, they're dissolving essentially over time. Yeah. So creepy. <laughs> Radiation's fucking terrifying. Geesh, man. Unless you're the, but you know what? I have seen this, Matthew, in the MCU before, but if you get a hard enough dose of gamma, you become the Incredible Hulk. Fucking kick ass. Right? Hell yeah. Why don't we just work on that? (laughs) So many puking Eric Bana's getting just blasted (laughs) with radiation. It's not working. (laughs) Is it Eric Bana? You know, in the the original. Oh, oh, whoa. I thought you said Banner. And I was thinking, no, it's Bruce Banner. Wow, that was crazy. (laughs) It's, you know, Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner, Eric Banner. God, I didn't even make the connection. Eric Banner, Bruce Banner. Anyway, he should just stick to uh, better movies. But better um, movies. the fire brigade gets to work. And then back inside, we see that our guy Victor has to come to his injuries because that man in the hallway just puts him down. Ooh, right? Is that yeah. Perech, per, whatever, Pereschenko? I'm sorry. Um, and then the three men just leave. Outside, we see Misha's hand burning now. The after effects of holding the... Uh, irradiated graphite or whatever. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that's what, three minutes later? Something like that? Not long. What what I love about this is there's a lot of moments where we have Vasily, you know, he's our POV for this fire brigade. Right. And we see Vasily, he's really suspicious, man. Like, they do a good job of showing him looking around and wondering what is going on here. And I, I like that. I like that we get that in this episode. Right, right. Because I mean, people got to imagine. Wait a minute. Right, because even you know these firefighters, they they work. You know, they are firefighters. I think for this nuclear facility and all of the the buildings around it. And you know, they don't know the fucking ins and out of radiation or obviously nuclear engineering. But I think that's got to always be in the back of your mind if you're not just a regular firefighter who goes and puts out house fires or you know apartment fires, but that you work for a nuclear facility and sure. with you you see a collapsed whole side of the facility like this you've got to in the back of your mind be thinking is is this okay like it's is this just a fire or is this a lot more dangerous right right um in the chat they're asking about russian accents and why weren't they done why are they british um good question i heard it was a a conscious choice because uh it just seemed distracting that evidently the accents from this area in ukraine are very in at least american minds stereotypically russian i I think i don't know if he talked about on the podcast but i saw a quote from craig mazin where he's like i didn't want it to turn into a boris natasha bit and he's like i didn't want that to be distracting so i just let them speak in their natural accent yeah there's that and then there's the part of where when you are performing you don't want to be considering the accent more than the character and in the moment, right? Totally. Anything exactly. that can distract you from a better performance is best left avoided. And it's interesting because I, I thought to myself, would that have, is that a bad choice? You know, I, I and in minutes you, you stop thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. You just yep. go with the story, which is more important. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. 
And I mean, I think the even a choice you could make, I, I almost feel like taking that shitty middle of the road of like, let's get some American and British actors and then we'll, we'll coach them on a Russian accent and we'll do that. It's either that, you know, it's either just fuck an accent and just let them perform as they perform or get straight up Russian actors and do subtitles. <laughs> like, I think it's like that. You, you got to do one or the other. Doing right. the middle road thing kind of gets silly. Yeah, Absolutely. And then we go back to Pripyat and we get a POV on Ludmila and she looks on and neighbors begin gathering around and they say, oh, join us, we're going to get a look from the railroad. They're kind of treating this like business as usual. Now, she saw the initial vault up into the sky, so she's probably feeling a little bit differently than these people are. And um, they are trying to reassure her that Vasily will be fine. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you, Ludmila... She's got that pregnant thing. She's got strong instincts right now for danger. She is, her spidey senses are tingling. Oh, yeah. Tingling. That one, I think it's her neighbor's uh, husband who's all like, what are you talking about? Dangerous. It's a fire over there and we're over here. Eh, like just completely shrugging it off right now. Right, right. Which normally you go, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Not with this kind of facility though. No, no, there is no, it's only this. When there's that, that word, it's, don't worry, it's only is never said in a in a nuclear power plant. Right. You just right. don't say that. <laughs> I'm sure it's only this. <laughs> right, sure. Right, okay, <laughs> if you say so. Dude, another great scene here of I, I fuck, can't remember this guy's name, but which, which first one? Thing, uh this the scientist who went and actually looked down into the reactor core and we get that terrifying shot of just an basically an empty. Oh, oh hole. at the end. Akimov. No, 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 right here, right here. Uh, we're about 22 minutes in, where they, where they go and they actually open up the metal door and go down to look into the reactor. Oh, yeah, that, that's the, the original guy with the P name. That's really hard for me to do, I think. Yeah, there we go. Um, but he looks down in there and there's, there's nothing there. There's no rods. There's no containment of any kind. You just kind of see a whole fucking massive blue fire and a massive dust plume of radiation firing up into the sky, and that's it. Um, and he runs back into the control room here, and it's such a moment where he goes, it's gone. He's, I looked right into it. There's nothing there. I looked into the core. And Dyatlov is like, did you lower the rods or not? Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, what? And then pukes because of his extreme radiation poisoning, and Dyatlov just writes it off. I take him to the infern- infirmary, whatever. He's not making sense. Yep. So two times now, we've had somebody who had eyes on it say, it's gone. The reactor is destroyed. Right. And he is still not taking that information. I think it's Perovchenko. I think that's the character in question. But it's Dyatlov and Akimov. Akimov is the guy with the glasses in the stash. Dyatlov yes. has the stash, no glasses. <laughs> it's a little confusing. <laughs> um, it's because, you know, what's hard about this is that the outfits are all the same. So it's really hard to sometimes differentiate them. On top of it, you're dealing with very complicated names for a American person to figure out. So we're doing the best we can with the names. And, uh, and the other guy, and this is, is Toptunov, right? He's the, he's the thinner blonde guy. There you go. Because it's Toptunov and Akimov that go, that, that, that release the things by hand at the end. Um, but yeah, the, the puker, I, I, I thought it was Perovchenko. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not sure who it is. He might just be somebody that's unnamed. I don't know. Is he, is he a lightweight or a middleweight? <laughs> he unified the belts with his victory but um <laughs> Dylan, uh, Dyatlov says um I've seen worse when they're referring to the guy's injuries ruptured condenser lines in other that words is... a ruptured condenser line is something that would cause this injury 
Dude, and that that strikes me. I don't know how you feel about it. It strikes me as full denial and that you have not seen worse than this. You're, that's something you're mostly telling to yourself in that moment. Of, I, I've, seen, I've seen people exposed. I've seen worse than that. That's not that bad. Like, let's yeah. not think about it. Yeah. Get him out of here. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, Dyedlov is not painted in a pretty light. Um, right. There is, a, there is a real lack of empathy here from him. And I don't know... I don't know if that's reality, but it, but if it is, it seems like a, a true lack of empathy. You know, Akimov, everyone else seems to be pretty human to me, whereas Dietlov has a bit of a sociopathic way about him, and it's really disturbing. And but I don't think it's entirely unrealistic. I think when no, you no, see no, people under— No, no, I'm not saying under, it is. I'm not saying yeah. it is. Yeah, no, no, I think it's very realistic. Well, I, I, what I mean by that is that's a dangerous proposition to be working for this man. Totally. Totally. That he's that if you're in denial in this, he's going to send you into life and death situations, not knowing that he's sending you into life and death situations. And maybe sociopaths a tough way to say it. it could be there's some, some narcissism there, which which could create a denial. Right? There's nothing a narcissist hates more than being wrong. Right. I mean, they they just can't admit it, <laughs> and it's never their fault. That's for fucking sure. And um, I find that very fascinating. And there's a lot of that coming up here, which I found really compelling, and I can't wait to get to. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Essentially, Akimov is in shock here at this whole thing because Dietlov says, call in the day shift. Come yeah, on into work. In. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, come on. We need, we need electricians, mechanics. We need bodies. We need people in here working on this. Come That'd on, be like, goes, oh, go, it's a them. blizzard out. Call your baggers in. <laughs> right. Are you yeah, sure? <laughs> Make them drive. <laughs> right. Are you sure we should be doing this? Oh, I think God. that's the, the best move at this point. Um, a much lesser reason, but I know I've worked with people who are ruthless about shit like that. Ugh, anyway, Kima picks up the phone. That's it. Then we get a little look in at the, uh, I would imagine the Pripyat hospital nearby. Be- before we move on, Akimov picking up the phone. What do you think about that? Uh, that the fact that he still does it, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember think, he doesn't think- know what we know. True, true. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of these guys in this moment just kind of defer to authority because yep, they don't know what else to do and they're fucking scared. And they're, they also, I, I think they're all kind of having that intuition of this is probably worse than we realize, but they don't know how much worse and they don't know how to assess it. I'm just going to do what Dyatlov told me to do. Yep, I agree. I don't think it's unrealistic for him to pick up the phone and I don't think it's morally bad for him to pick up the phone either. Right, right. I, I doubt I'll be casting much moral judgment here. Maybe a little bit on some of these upper, on some of the brass. Yeah. You know. But later, we get a view of a doctor's hospital in Pripyat. We see a nurse who asks the doctor if they stock iodine pills. And he's wondering why she would ask such a thing. And yeah, um, she looks out at the fire at the, at the nuclear power station. Yes, yes. I find it interesting that... Uh, the two female perspectives are feeling this is worse than it is compared to any of the other male perspectives. Right, right. Hmm. Interesting. But they're they're noticing it, or the, or they're just feeling like it's worse than you know. That's that's an interesting proposition. Is it machismo, denial, maybe all of it? Yeah, going, eh, I mean, fucking, it's nothing. We got this. We got this. And the girl's like, no, no, no. This is a mile high explosion. Did you see that part? I definitely <laughs> saw that part from my window. Did you see it in your safe bunker? Because I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, it, it's a thing that I imagine that will will come up more as the show goes on. But I think another like stereotype of Soviet Russia is that like, ah, oh, it was so much propaganda and, and people didn't you know know the truth of the government. But also at the end of the day, the people knew they were being lied to a lot as well oh, and were therefore skeptical about a lot of things. Absolutely. And I think 
as much as much as they were believing some misinformation, they were kind of always aware that there's a lot of misinformation around and floating around you. So I think, I mean, I feel like it's pretty natural for a lot of people in the situation to have a very skeptical eye of what the the official account is. I was listening to a podcast a long time ago, and I don't remember who was talking, but they were talking about it was a woman. I remember specifically talking about Russia being of Russian heritage and she was saying that that a lot of a lot of people that especially grew up in that time were just super skeptical of everything yeah because exactly. of the because of the uh, you know because of the propaganda of the machine so to speak and um that was just in in it made the cagey man cagey i like that yeah i appreciate that uh that that way to be like uh, i don't know about that dude <laughs> but um God, I wish I could remember. It's going to drive me nuts all night. Hopefully, I don't let it distract me. We cut to, how do you say this guy's name? Brukhanov? Uh, Bru- oh, God, I just had it too. Damn it. Brankov? Brukhanov? Brukhanov? Um, <laughs> no, I got this. I got this. Here we go. Go. Brukhanov. Brukhanov. I, I feel like the Y silent, or well, something silent in there. Brukhanov? Sauce curls. The other guy's name is so much easier to say. Foman. Yeah, Fomin. 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 Um, sauce curls, I call him. I really like this next scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. This the, is the, incredible. Where they have Dyatlov in there. Oh, I love this. Excellent. So this is pretty important because it's important to remember that he didn't like leave the facility and go far, far away and get in a car. No. That's what's... Because you almost feel like, whoa... And this is kind of my point, which is these guys don't know what happened. And they're in the same spot, so to speak. They're just not in one of those nearby buildings. They're in this control room, this sort of ward room, as it were. Kind of right. wild. Yeah. But anyway. And I, I imagine this building's not terribly far from that. Right. That's why it has, well, it has, it's, it's designed for fallout. But um, it's 2.30 a.m. Who else knows about mm-hmm. this? Have you called Fomin? Of course. I want you to call him the phone call that leads to this meeting. And then um, I'm going to say Brukhanov and Fomin meet with Dietlov. And uh, Brukhanov says, I take it the safety test was a failure. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, now, I love him being like, of course I can't be blamed. I was sleeping. Dude. So oh. real quick here. I take it the safety test was a failure. Boy, yeah. how dreadfully ironic that you were testing safety features and this happened. Yeah, during the safety test. That's brutal. Uh, and also that's like so that's much like, deferral. It it almost seems like a fake movie plot where it's like, oh, we don't have phasers on our starship, but we're gonna go out for a little test drive, and then we get attacked. No, no, You're like, are you kidding me? They attacked us during a training mission when we don't have phasers. No, they didn't. <laughs> that's unrealistic. Oh, it's yeah, totally realistic uh, in Chernobyl. Doing yeah. a safety test, and uh, the thing went haywire. All to shit. But no, one of the things I love about the scene, it happens very quick Dude. and in pretty subtly, but a lot of deferral of blame. I love uh, it. Where, you know, he, I think it's Brankov who's like, uh, it's Chief Engineer Foman who, you know, wanted you to run this test, correct? Uh, or actually, no, I think it's even Foman who says to- um, I got the dialogue yeah, if you want it. What's that? You got it? Yeah. So, um, Ruknikov says, of course, I'm not responsible. I was sleeping. And then Dietlov says, we ran the test exactly as Fomin approved. Exactly. And then later, um, 
The tank is quite large. It's the only logical explanation. Of course, Deputy Chief Dietlov was directly supervising the test. Exactly. It's like everyone's <laughs> passing the buck right here. Oh, yeah. We're all pointing fingers. I, I find this standoff of pointed fingers right here. What, what I find so fascinating about this, this moment is I don't think this is super unrealistic. I don't think no. this is, I also don't think this is unique to Soviet, the Soviet people of the time. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think, I think. I think it's I think it's very on point for people who are a little underhanded and kind of slimy, and that's <laughs> a little bit the way these three guys strike me. These three right here, they're they're kind of like ugh, they rub me the wrong way. All three of them. Oh yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you what's fascinating about this whole thing is on the one hand you have these guys discussing no, it's nothing, it's contained, and then they're like, it's not my fault though. <laughs> but it's but it's so, also not my fault. You did so it. I, I like this. I like this. It's almost like recognition of your own kind of bullshit. Where you're like, right. eh, I mean, you know, eh, you know, it's 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 no big deal. We got under control. Nothing. No, yeah, absolutely. We're yeah, we're doing the feed water. We're doing the stuff. We're doing the things, guys. We're gonna take care yeah. of it. But no, it's not my fault. But I didn't do it. I mean, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's again, not my fault. <laughs> not me though. Definitely him. <laughs> so uh, all three of these ding dongs are pointing fingers at each other. Oh, totally. Um, and, I, and I think it's again uh, Bryunkov who, when he hears the fact about the three point six reading, he's like, "Well, it's not bad, but it's not horrific." Again, just like, "Well, not great, but that's something manageable." This isn't a total fucking disaster yet. Yeah, that's funny. Um, apparently, uh, in the chat, I'm being told the the what did he put X something CD chart? Let me get back to the chat. The XKCD radiation dose chart is great for visualizing the amount of radiation these people were exposed to. Hmm. There you go. Um, yeah. Nobody wants to get shot, they're saying in the chat. What do you think of that sentiment? Think that's American <laughs> propaganda? <laughs> I think at times it can be exaggerated, but at the same time, plenty of people were dragged off and shot for this kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, true. And I mean, hell, we already heard, we find out what happened to Dyatlov at the very beginning of the show. He's sentenced to 10 years in a prison labor camp. <laughs> prison <laughs> labor. Boosh. Yeah, crazy. But, um, all right. So we wrap up with these boys uh, kind of pointing fingers, but this is where the 3.6 uh, Röntgen per hour comes up, right? That's not great, but it's not horrifying, which is reaffirmed here. And um, Fomin assumes it's from the feed water, right? Irradiated feed water, to which Dyatlov affirms. He says, yes. So they agree on this. So they decide to limit shifts going forward to six hours at a time. So they're going to continue business as usual here. And he says, oh, get the good meters to keep our men safe, right? <laughs> get the good. Spare no expense. Right, right. This is fascinating, man. This This entire piece, this, you know... As we've seen the premise laid out, lies or denial, what's, what's, what's your take on this general theme and, and how we're seeing it start to play out at, at, at this point, which is about halfway through the episode? Oh, right. Again, well, this is, this is when we kind of have uh, the, that parallel sequence of the people watching and, and having the, the actual fallout dust landing on them, and they're just completely oblivious to the danger of it. Uh, <clears throat> and also with the scene of, of the one scientist who was exposed to the core as well, who's also dying, much like Victor was, uh, getting some of the rain. No, actually, I guess it's not rain. It's from the uh, the firefighters. The hose is the water starting to pour down on them. Uh, and I think it's such a, a good little visual comparison of the people outside of this far enough away. The civilians have 
absolutely sure. no idea. And the guys inside are starting to see that even the work being done to put this out is nowhere near enough. Like there, this is, it's futile. Yeah. And I, I think that, that, that is the heart of this first episode of how, how much this is beyond all of our efforts to, uh, to handle it, to contain it. Yeah, man, that's a really good point. Um, I, uh, I, I put up, if, if you're, if you're enjoying this on YouTube, um, I did shunt over that radiation dose chart. And, oh yeah, I found uh, that too. Oof, man, there's a it's there's a lot of little boxes on there, but uh, using a CRT monitor for one year, yippee! <laughs> um, not as much as a dental X-ray. Airplane Whoa. flight from New York to LA. So uh-huh. sleeping next to someone is very low. Living within fifty miles of a nuclear power plant is a little bit more. Eating one banana. What, dude? You know what's you know what's a little scary is that I lived. Uh, let's see, that would probably be five miles away from Duke Power Plant. I think the third largest, uh, third or fifth largest nuclear power plant in all of America. <laughs> Growing up, I'm like, hmm, I wonder how irradiated I am. Oof. Dental X-ray, extra dose from spending one day in an area with higher than average natural background radiation. Um, airplane flight. Oh, so be a hermit. Basically, I'm learning today. All the doses in the blue chart combined. Uh, Extra dose to Tokyo in weeks following Fukushima, living in a stone brick or concrete building for a year. Interesting. (laughs) That's like, I do all of these now. (laughs) Oh, fuck. I eat so many bananas. Oh, shit. What's up with radiation bananas? Somebody in the chat figure that out. <laughs> I mean, there's oh, it's pretty potassium. much nothing on Earth. It's that's... potassium. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yep. Say, there's, there's nothing on our Earth that's probably 100% free of any form of radiation. I'm like, ah, it's, it's it, out there. It, the chart's interesting because it shows you maximum dose permitted for U.S. radiation workers. Yeah. Hmm. Dose I mean, I from spending an hour on the grounds at the Chernobyl plant in 2010. Yeesh. Okay, let's do quick math. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. That's 25. How many times is three going to 25? Eight. Okay, so in eight hours, according to this chart, in 2010, you would have hit your maximum radiation dose permitted in a year. Eight hours at Chernobyl in 2010. Damn. Dude. Damn. That is bananas, which are radioactive. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This chart there is, is uh, no escape. This chart is really, uh, oof. So that so there's blue, green, and red. Red, of course, is the worst. There's the fatal dose of red. Um, it goes on and on. I'm not going to derail the show entirely with this. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So radiation dose chart, it's worth taking a look at. It's really creepy. Oh, God. Uh, it's creepy, to it say is. the least. It's terrifying. Well... <laughs> These guys say that they got everything under control. And of course, um, back at Pripyat, we get probably the most haunting moment of this episode, right? Of the, of the, the, everyone looking up at the, at the cloud. This is really something, this moment. Visually, it's, 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 it's really incredible. Right, right. Because it's that dramatic irony of us, the audience, knowing the real threat and, and watching all these people just sit there and soak it in literally soaking it in and they don't know yeah they're just having a uh, chernobyl fire watch party pretty much and I mean, uh in the fallout the i keep calling it fallout i know it's ash but it but it is fallout right it's all irradiated that's the point oh, yeah. that's why it's so heavily creepy. radiated what and, a great shot too of seeing the ash getting caught in their hair like it's just it's like it's just everywhere it's just getting into everything it's unreal man it creeps me out 
Holy shit, my boy Christian Riley's in the chat. That is a good dude right there. Everybody say hi to Christian Riley in the chat. He's a good friend of mine. I just hung out with him on um, Sunday. Oh. Mr. Christian Riley. He has uh, Odin's beard. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, this is pretty visually striking, this moment. Oof, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah. This is, this is my favorite visual of this episode. Is it, 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 it uh, just the contrast of us knowing I what's know. really happening? I know, and that that horror, like you, it, it makes you want to like shout to them, like get away, like get away from this, don't be out in this. Oh, it's creepy, uh, man. It's just so haunting, and the dancing and the playing. There's something really in look in the shot of the children. There's a sh- when the when, and it's like the, there's there's a moment where it looks like there's a ton of it, ton of it. It's it just looks definitely like sand, it looks they're kicking the sand of it. I think it's starting to collect some, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. Ugh, it's so it's like when you hear when volcanoes go up and then ash is like, you know, seven, 75 to 100 miles, just covered cars in it. You know, like when a volcano goes up, all the ash that comes down. Oh, yeah. I know when Mount St. Helens uh, blew, people in Portland, there was That's so much what ash it was. that people... Yeah, people were scraping up jars of it to sell to fucking tourists. Truth be told, I didn't remember the name of it. Didn't want to guess, and I was afraid to be stupid. I'm glad you. I'm glad you were brave. Uh, here, here's your lifeline. I was fearful in that moment, and I backed off. I'm a bad podcaster, <laughs> which is hilarious because I make like ten mistakes per episode on them average. <laughs> on a good one. <laughs> I mean, with the pronunciations of this one alone, I'm probably up to thirty. Oh God, easily. Pripyat. I got that one down. Pripyat. Yep. Fullman. <laughs> Let's go back to the plant. Yeah, and this this is fuck. <laughs> what is his name? Uh, uh, the guy he's the one the who glasses. found Victor. Uh, no, help. okay, no, this guy's different. He there's a different guy with glasses and a mustache because no, 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 I'm not talking it, about him. I'm talking about the injured guy, the injured guy that is found. Yes, by the guy with glasses and a mustache. So yeah. now you have three guys with mustaches. Two of them have glasses. One of them does not. There you go. The good, the easiest way I think to tell is that none of the mustaches are injured. The, all, all the mustaches mustache are guys okay. are doing good right up until the end. <laughs> right until then, yeah. Yeah, I believe this is Sitnikov. Yeah, but you know he goes he goes to the scientist who who found Victor, and he is now. I mean, he got exposed directly to the core when the other guys went in and looked down at it, uh, and he's already just succumbing to radiation sickness. Brutal, and man. he just asks for a cigarette, uh, and he's like, "Well, what do we do now?" And he's like, "It's over. Like <laughs> it's it's done. There's there's no stopping it." Right, right. Oh no, this isn't Sitnikov. This is Boris. Sitnikov's the guy who looks in the reactor at the end. Oh, okay. Up at the, on the roof. Yeah. Yeah. This is brutal. This is a tough scene too, but, um, he asked for the cigarette and Boris, she's just like, do you need help? And he just says it's over. Yeah. Nothing to be done. Man, this is rough. Oh, and this next scene with Vasily and the fire brigade, so fucking good. Uh, where, where the rain is like amazing too. The, the visual, there's this, it's, it's interesting, you know, there's talk about embracing the suck, so to speak. Which is this moment where you find this man whose who's goose is cooked, basically, and I'm not trying to make a cute pun. And um, he asks for a cigarette, and Boris sort of turns his hand up, and the, and the rain starts to fall on his palm, and he looks up. And you know this is irradiated rain at this point. But, it's, but, but, but even though it is, there's this measure of relief in it. Like both of these right. men look up, and they're just like, oh, this feeling of the rain is just so nice, you know? Yeah, and just maybe even the notion that the world is not over, <laughs> that the entire like planet it. has been destroyed. I like it. 
That's got to be a thought in the back of your mind. Like, like how damaging is that? Like the sun's going to come up kind of feeling. Right. Right. Yeah, I like it. But yeah, fire brigade scene, very orange, oh, very intense. Oh my God. Yeah, the, the color palette is terrifying and beautiful all at the same time. But this moment of Vasilia, it's maybe the most human moment of the episode to me because they, they're basically saying, we have to stop using the hoses out here. We got to go in. We got to go inside to put this out. And as they kind of march up that little hill of rubble to go deeper inside, he has that moment where he pauses and he looks at it and he's just, it's another slow motion moment. It actually cuts back again to his wife's face of her just kind of sitting and looking and nervously thinking about what, how bad could this really be as he pauses and looking into the fire. And that's got to be the most scary moment of hesitation of, mm-hmm. I don't, know truly how bad this is but this is worse than just some fire and i don't know if i should go in there i mean we're all we've already seen multiple firefighters starting getting to get sick yep in pravik i believe he's running this crew orders them to the roof and the the rhythmic dread of the music is is incredible just the impending inevitability of the music it really represents the inevitability of the scene to me like it's just a big churning machine you can't get out of yeah For sure. Again, the lack of melody really works for me. Oh, so creepy. But like you said, Vasily's face is much, much like the, this is, if if, it, if his face was speaking to you, it would say this is much worse than everyone thinks it is. <laughs> yeah. And did you notice how much redder his face was already getting? Like this, the skin itself is he's getting red. Everyone's like brightening up. Yeah, that's bananas to me. Ugh. So we go to 3.30 a.m. Akimov and Toptunov, uh, they're chatting with Boris, I believe. a.m. So now we're two hours removed from the tragedy. I mean, not removed. Two hours since it began. We're 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 not removed from it at all. We're right in the middle of it, actually. Right. And this is where we get a little more clarity of character here because we got glasses, mustache, glasses, mustache. But we do see some distinct differences in the way these men look. One's much more angular than the other. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) But this is, I think, where Akimov is still is still kind of following in the same path of uh, Dyatlov, basically saying, "All right, our priority is still to get water down into the core. That's what we got to do to prevent a full meltdown." But I think it's Boris who's saying, "Like, look, there's we got to start facing the fact that there's there's not much else we can do here." Yeah, I found this moment really weird, really interesting, really beautiful, really terrible. I mean. This is really something here. This is this part of the episode stood out to me, but it's the some of the some of the detail is just discussing the. I believe Boris says the pumps are gone, the electrical is gone, the pumps are gone. Okay, gone. Yeah. And he's not going to the core, and he won't go to the core. Yeah, I love that moment where he's like, "I will not go in there." Right. There's no that's fucking a, way you're marching me up to that's it. That's a human being, right? Totally. And, that's, and it, right here we have this perfect little clash of. One uh, one set of people more in denial than the other, and they're still I, for I think for the sake of trying to feel like they're getting a grasp around it and and helping, and also just trying to keep their own feelings subsided about you know instead of panicking, let's think about what we can actively do. They're still following kind of the protocol of all right, so we have to get the the water valves on. If if there's no electricity to turn them on, we got to do it by hand. And just going through this like whole process of step one, step two, step three, whereas Boris is already like, no, 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 that's all gone. There's there's nothing left to do. Uh, But do we see them choose to, no, we will go down there and we will release the valves ourselves. Uh, Whereas I think Boris is like that certain death. What do you think about this? 
I, I, I mean, I, you just were telling me, but this is a, this is a big moment of the show for me. Is this, 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 this schism as it were between right. these two sort of competing thought processes, well, which is, they, they, do you, do you, are we to believe that Akimov thinks he can make a difference or are we to believe what he sort of explicitly says here, which is the following. We have to get water into the core. Otherwise there'll be a meltdown. If it's true, in other words, if it's true in parentheses that there is no core, then we're dead. A million people are dead. Is that what you need to hear? We need to open the valves by hand. He's almost saying it doesn't really matter if we do this or we don't do this. Right, right. Which it's is really crazy to me. Yeah, and I, and I think he's just— And I'm not saying crazy as a pejorative. I'm saying it as an academic, in an ac- and not as an academic, but in an academic way to where I'm trying to sort of wrap my head around the thought process. Right. And I think for him, like I was saying, it's just a matter of, here's the protocol. Here's what I know we can do, or at least we're supposed to do in a situation like this. Might as well do it for the sake of of trying. Right. Because Boris retorts here, and this is an important detail, by suggesting that they'd be pumping water into a ditch because nothing is there. So to, to simplify this into something visual that perhaps you and I, and maybe even the listener can wrap their head around, it would be like saying, Matthew, your house is a raging inferno <laughs> and there is a hose only a few feet away from your house. Now you could go there, pick up the hose and fire it at the house, surely burning yourself and risking certain death, smoke inhalation, something collapses and kills you most likely is the case. And I'm telling you now the hose will do nothing. Right. I mean, it's a moral victory. Yeah. Is it, is it that something. simple or, or, or so what I'm trying to differentiate here between these two guys is, are we to believe that Akimov does not know the futility of the situation and that he's hopeful and he goes, or are we to believe that Akimov knows exactly the situation because he knows Boris is not lying or, or right. misunderstanding. He, we, we know that Akimov is not Dietlov, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He exactly. strikes me as more reasonable at this point. What, 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 Ah, it's it's like a mind bender. It's a mind bender to me. We're like, is he marching to his death just knowingly, or does he really think there's there's a chance that this will work, that this will help? Um, It's an interesting character study because uh, I I don't know. Do we know? Has do we know if Akimov has ever been interviewed? Do we know if he ever said why? Is I'm assuming he's not. I don't know. I don't want to look up spoilers. That's why I didn't do a lot of research on this (laughs) history spoilers. You know what I mean? But you know it. I, because I don't know the details, I was like, I don't want to spoil the whole thing. I mean, obviously, I mm, right. I know some of the horrible things that happened, but I've just always kind of the scene is is really something. It really yeah. it really sat with me, um, and I thought a lot about it. Right, because I mean, uh, the other like very realistic to me moment about it is when they're leaving. And he's like, watch the control panel for us while we're gone, and he's like, it doesn't work. And he's like, we'll just watch it. Like I don't know what else to do. Like just do that. Like this is what we're supposed to do. So let's do this because I also think there's an underlying uh, understanding that maybe they don't consciously know what the levels of radiation are in the room, but they have seen multiple other engineers and scientists get sick right in front of them in this control room. I think they also kind of are aware that it's it's probably everywhere in here. Like we're not escaping radiation poisoning even in the control room. Yeah. Is it is it you know is this a heroic thing? You know, that's, that's what I struggle with. Obviously, there were a lot of heroes. Like everything, I can't stress this enough. Across all the cultures, there's heroes and villains. And, and I know that's a simplistic way to state it, but bear with me for sake of this discussion. 
and, and there's something in between, there's a spectrum, right? Are we witnessing a heroic deed by these men, despite the fact that they know, you know, it, it's like, did they, did this part of them believe that they're, that they're doing the, the right thing here? Is it, is it even a question of right and wrong? Is it a question of just straight duty? And they don't think about that. Right. Is it a sense of pride? Um, it, it's really fascinating to me. And, and I don't think we're going to get an answer today on the podcast. And I think it's something I really want to come back to as, 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 as I'm sure we're going to get this, thema- this, this sort of thematic thing reoccurring over and over again in this, in this series. Right. Just, just, just food for thought. We don't need to have the answers tonight, but. I agree. I mean, my, my feeling on and it. Boris is sad. He cries. I'm sorry to interrupt, but he, he's really devastated when they walk away. And, and uh, Toptonov doesn't look thrilled either. He's somber, but he goes. Right. Right. And for me, I, I still interpret it mostly as a, they are aware that this, the likelihood of what they're about to do making any difference is pretty low, but what else are you going to do? You're, mm-hmm. already, you're here, you're in the thick of it. What you're else the, you some do? of the only people are, that are around in the situation of any even slight understanding of it. And you know that this is one of the things that in theory needs to be done. So you do it. Because like you, you also probably have also in the back of your mind, like I was saying, that you know you're probably already poisoned, anyways. Got it. That's probably you just what it is. Do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's either stand stand here and die, or go throw you know a bucket on the raging fire and die. There like, you go. You're dead either I mean, way, right? You're dead either I, way. I, I guess that's probably. I guess that's a better way to interpret it. Which which is my initial sort of metaphor about the burning house is not good because. And that, that metaphor assumes that the uh, uh, the secondary choice is life. So maybe right, that wasn't a fair, that was definitely not a fair comparison now that I'm thinking back on it. So I say, I say that was a mistake by me. Um, so yeah, I like, I like kind of where you're at. It's, we could stand here and do nothing. We could go there and do nothing, but either way we're dead men. That could just be what it is. Yeah. Go yeah. there and attempt something. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and, in, the, and, in the words of the philosopher, um, Iron Maiden, die with your boots on. <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh shit! The fucking the 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 great bard. Um, what's his? What the fuck's the guy's name? I don't even know the lead singer's name. Did I think I was gonna have my first Iron Maiden reference on the Chernobyl podcast? No, yeah. I didn't. Bruce Bruce something or other. I don't know. Oh but, uh, yeah, uh, Bruce Dickinson. Dickinson. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> made it. <laughs> and not to mention, you know, one of the one of the advantages we have to look at this not only with a with a much more modern eye and modern sensibility, not to mention a cultural difference. Uh, I think there's also the uh, the the beauty of this stuff, and this happens a lot of times when people sort of are discussing, or in some cases, and I hope we're not doing it too much, and that's sort of judging things that happened. We there's. There's always the comfort of the chair, right? There's always the, the totally. lack of in the yeah. moment, looking at everything that's happened, knowing the reality. And the more I think about this, the more I think, you know, Akimov is just like, I know the reality. Dietlov might, might be denying the reality, but I know it. So I might as well just go do my fucking job because I'm screwed anyway. Right, right. And, and I think all of these things that we're saying are still not— Interpretations. Well, not even that, but even if it's even if we're dead on, we're exactly correct. I think none of those are conscious thoughts any of these guys are having. It's it's just that that kind of understanding you have of 
we're probably doomed. <laughs> like, yes, uh, us it's as not, individuals right, <laughs> right now. Right, that's a really good point too. It's not like we're sitting here going, oh, these guys are having this uh, philosophical discussion in their heads. No, they don't have time for that shit, right? No, no. They don't have time well, for, for sort of uh, that process. They just have the, this is what I do, this is what I've been trained to do, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of them are and some of them aren't. Boris isn't. He's like, I'm not going to the reactor. So there's that. Yeah. And I, and that's another, what I love about this is there's, we have it posed and just kind of laid out in front of us, all of these guys, different reactions and choices. And I don't judge them for any of them. Like, of I'm, course, of course. In a lot of, in a lot of sense, I'm kind of with Boris of like, fuck, fuck absolute certain death. Like, I'm not just going to dive head first into the abyss for fucking just the sake of it. Sure. I'm like, no fucking way, man. Right. And then like you're saying, I, it, it's not judging at all. There's part of me no. that's like, could you have maybe dragged the guy out of there? Would that have been better than turning on the water valves? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't cast judgment, but we're doing a podcast. So I'm going to consider things. Right. Right. I'm definitely not going to say I would have behaved any differently or better. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I no don't way, fucking know. No way in hell. Um, I, I prefer to judge the, uh, the, the, the leadership and the, and the politicians though. That's fun for me. <laughs> it <laughs> these, is grand old time. These bastards. <laughs> Uh, I love I love all these stony faced old fucks in their suits coming on down. Yeah, we built this shelter with, to withstand a nuclear attack from the Americans, so we'll be all right. <laughs> well, Nancy, all right. So, um, let's hop over. <laughs> God, now, on that note, I am so glad this show didn't cut over to some corny ass actor portraying Reagan at this time. Like, well, it looks like the Ruskies attacked themselves. Eh? <laughs> God. Oh, thank God we didn't bounce around to <laughs> stupid historical characters like that. Yeah, that'd be pretty much destroying the whole point of the show. Exactly. It's a good choice. So let's move over to um, the, the second shift guys. Like, what's going on here? As they start rolling in, a lot more mustaches and glasses. <laughs> so many. They're discussing <laughs> sabotage, a bomb, right? They're, they're kind of going, what, what's going on here? And uh, they're being briefed here? on using the dosimeters. And um, mm-hmm. that's when we get to the meeting. Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they still think it's a control tank. That's what he <laughs> you know, goes on to brief them all on. A control tank malfunctioned. We had an accident. And the yeah, roof yeah, is now yeah, on yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's boy. It. So big <laughs> shot meeting. Um, so what we're seeing here is uh, Rukhanov, he's part of the Central Committee. And we're also seeing the Pripyat Executive Committee, right? Mm-hmm. So executives of the town of Pripyat. Correct. Executives of the town. Oof, boy, I'll tell you. That's some <laughs> hardcore government shit right there. Oh, yeah. Brukhanov briefs them and says that everything's okay, besides the fact that two to 4,000 troops are coming for support. Oh, yeah. Uh, everything's okay. 4,000 troops are coming. What? <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> Back that up. <laughs> no, no, everything's good. Just tons of military guys coming, yeah. Uh, but what's really going on here? Fomin says mild radiation. Right, right. And our boy here, I got his name at the end, Petrovich. Pet- Petrov, yeah. Petrovich. This, is the- this guy's name is rad. Petrovich. Also- Petrovich. Mm-hmm. And he's the one person speaking truth here. Love he's this like, guy. You saw men outside fucking vomiting. You saw radiation burns. This is worse than we are saying, I say we evacuate the town. He's the one person Love to him. say that. He's, yeah. He ain't buying it. And, and I love this, you know, the, <laughs> I love Barukhanov, uh, uh, Barukhanov saying, my wife is here. Do you think I would keep her here if, she, if it wasn't safe? 
Yeah, not knowingly, maybe. <laughs> to which Petrovich just says, the air is glowing, dude. <laughs> I fucking love it. The air's glowing, dickhead. Also, like, what a so what bad. a what a ridiculous logical fallacy. You're assuming we have the same value system. Right. <laughs> you you are assuming that your definition of safety and mine are the same, therefore I should agree with your logic that you wouldn't keep your wife in a dangerous area. That's not that's fallacious argumentation, sir. That doesn't work. Well, and also you're just assuming that we all have a full understanding and awareness Correct. of the dangers present, which Correct. we don't. Like nobody is that's aware a, at this point. That's some politician shit. Oh, Dietloff shuts this man uh, shuts this down and says it can't happen. Minimal radiation. He says something like the, uh, I think it's Cherenkov effect. Oh yeah, where he's talking about like the yep. why the sky is glowing, <laughs> the fucking air. Yeah, it's just the Cherenkov effect. And these guys kind of go back and forth on this, and we get to Zarkov. Oh, Zarkov. <laughs> he was there during the initial Russian Revolution, baby. Zarkov, my guy. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, if Dean's anybody knows me, meter. You know if, that just like the dosimeter, Dean's meter is <laughs> fucking maxing out, dude. I pulled out the I pulled out the political bullshit like dosimeter for me, the industrial one from the safe, and it broke immediately when this guy started talking. <laughs> <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Fuck. If anybody knows me, they know I'm going to struggle to get through this part, but I'm going to love it. Here he goes. <laughs> the passion you have for the people. He's talking to Petrovich for, is that not the sole purpose of the apparatus of the state? <laughs> 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 okay. Sometimes we forget. Ugh. Sometimes we fall prey to fear, but our faith in Soviet socialism will always be rewarded. Now the state tells us the situation here is not dangerous. Have faith. The state tells us they want to prevent panic. Listen well. It's true. When the way for it, when the people see the police, they will be afraid. I wonder why. But it is my experience that when the people ask questions, oh, this is good. Oh, this is the oh, one. This is a good one. But it is my experience that when the people ask questions that are not in their own best interest, they should simply be told to keep their minds on their labor and leave matters of the state to the state. Oh, put, put your eyes back to conveyor belt, Conrad. Do not oh, leave. Oh, shit, dude. That's fucking funny. I'm like, cry laughing. <laughs> wow. Whew. Oh, That's fuck. good stuff, man. That's oh, good man. stuff. Anyway, he continues by saying, we seal off the city, no one leaves, and cut the phone lines. Contain the spread of misinformation. This oh. is how we keep the people from undermining the fruits of their own labor. The fruits of their own labor. Keep saying it. It'll make it As true. if it exists. Yes, comrades, we will all be rewarded for what we do here tonight. This is our moment to shine. Fuck the little people. And then, yay! Oh, that self-congratulatory... Golf clap they all give each other. Oh, it's, it's just the grossest that it's like you guys are the ones tucked away in a nuclear blocking facility, far away, nice and safe. You're in power, and you're. This is our moment to shine while Ugh. firefighters are literally rotting. Fuck oh, you! Yeah. This is great. It's wretched. So uh, gross. Statism, the most dangerous of religions. <laughs> I barfed and I don't even have radiation poisoning, Matt. But enough of that. I'll well, spare people my rants. Let's go to Sitnikov. 
Siet Great Nikulov. name. Love it. Oh, man, these Russian names are legit. Oh, yeah. Because this meeting comes down, it, it sort of barrels out to just these few guys, right? Yeah, back to Brian, Brunikov and Falman. Uh, and then, yeah, like, like you said, uh, Sitnikov. 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 Sitnikov, Dietlov, Jesus, Louises. Dietlov. There yeah. we go. In Bryukhanov, or probably Brukhanov. I don't know if the Y is pronounced. I don't know. And we get to these guys, and this is where we get to, I send my, uh, my dosimetrist into the reactor building. The large dosimeter from the safe that no one, that, that, the one with the 1,000 uh, Rotgen capacity. What was the number? Maxed. Um, it burned. It broke when I turned it on. Typical oh, Moscow sends us crap. <laughs> these guys are so funny. They're so full of contradiction. Like, we love this state, and Moscow sends us crap. How typical. It's like they're so conflicted. It's so it's so interesting to to observe the dialogue in that context. We found another dosimeter from the military fire department. It only goes to two hundred Rotken, and it maxed out. What game are you playing? God, I just I love this that they so think nuts. truth has an agenda. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, dude, we're not talking about some person reporting this to you. We're talking about a fucking piece of equipment giving you the numbers, and you're like, that's nah, the, what that's game the most play? insane part about this. This isn't an interpretation of something. We're not we're not discussing what we think of a person's character. I'm telling you, I have two instruments that are saying this. These are the facts. Oh, God. I'm not asking you what you think about some random senator in fucking Colorado. Like, that's interpretive, right? Show me the, what happened. What, do you have it? Red, is, it is it here? Do we have evidence? Science right. evidence. We beat the, built a whole reactor on the, the, the principles of certain scientific truths. Oh, well, dude, and that's, I mean, to be honest, the same as, like, uh, what is truth and the interpretation of truth and the cost of lies, those are all big, important themes in here. I think uh, the denial of science is is another scary theme here of, you know, there, there is no agenda behind what he just said. He's not coming in there being like, well, I think it, it could be in this range, and that's okay. No, he's saying, the machine said this, and the machine is functioning, and it told us this. That, that's just the basic fact of it. Now what? Now what do you want to do with that? And they're acting as if, well, that doesn't go along with what we want to hear, so that's a problem. Like, that's, that's This insane. is wild. This is wild, this stuff. It's, um, it is. It's, a, it's, it's bananas. It's um, truth. That, it's what a, what so a fascinating like, concept. What a fascinating species we are that we have, we have come to the point. We have, uh, we, have, uh, we have evolved and had civilization and done all these things and created machines that can read this, that can detect the amount of radiation that is out there, and then it tells us. The machine that we designed, that we made to tell us this, tells us the information. We go, nah, I don't, that's not what I want to see. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking, we made it. It's your tool working correctly. Right. There is always the possibility of failure. Oh, for sure. But with two exact pieces it gets a little crazy. And it's not just that. It's all of the other stuff, immediate actionable evidence that is surrounding us. Right. And Everything. then, um, yeah, the, this is crazy. I like when and he says, are you stupid? <laughs> You're a nuclear engineer and so am I. You tell me how an RBMK reactor explodes. Not a meltdown, explodes. So interesting he, side note about the HBO podcast mm -hmm. is... Um, Craig Mazin was saying that Fomin's engineering credentials are really dubious. Um, oh, really? Essentially, and you'll have to listen to the episode to get the full 
full bore of it. He was suggesting that it was as uh, almost an equivalent of like a mail order degree. <laughs> I got it from the Vry University, dude. I got this from Cracker Jack box. It was in bottom. <laughs> It was so delicious. My educational journey was so delicious that I got to the bottom and had a degree in engineering after eating yummy, yummy sugar snacks. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> if you say so. Right, man. Anyway, um, but, but, it, but it continues. Another faulty meter, you're wasting your time. I checked the meter against the control. Dietlov gets pretty aggressive here, right? Yeah, because what the fuck are you that- talking about? And he says, look, I walked around the exterior building four. There's graphite on the ground on the rubble. You didn't see graphite. I did. You didn't. You didn't. See, oh, because it dude, is not that's, there. That's the most insane. Like you are in the absolute passionate throes of denial when somebody's like, no, I saw it. It's there. And you're just going, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Like what, what is your basis for saying, no, it isn't? Did you go look? Nah. And actually the crazy part too is that we've already talked about. The Atloff saw the fucking graphite. He looked out the window and saw it. Hmm. And he's still denying it. What is it? What, what is, is what? it that compels these guys? It, you know, you could almost say, okay, there's the denial of the individual. Mm-hmm. And then there's two men in utter denial. Oh, yeah. And, I, and to be honest, I think it's a lot at play. I think it is a denial of, I don't want myself to get blamed for this. I think there's that own self-interest is involved. But then there is also the true, just larger fear response of denial of, I, if what you're saying is true, then now we have a disaster way beyond proportion that we ever expected, are able to handle, and this could be, I mean, catastrophic lives lost in this, and I just don't want to face that reality. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's a, it's very powerful, obviously. Oh, yeah. It's very, very powerful, but um, it's, it's... I mean, Dyatlov is acting, like you said, extremely emotionally, pounds the fucking table, saying, no, you didn't. Right, um, which is and, funny because it didn't start that way. So you you would almost say, <laughs> not a psychologist drink, but you would almost hmm. say like the denial is progressing through stages, right? Where he's yeah. getting angry now. Before it was this is crazy, and he had yeah. cause for this. He had cause for reasonable doubt. But as we close right. in on the facts, the truth, truth and facts aren't necessarily the same. I get it, but we start to see a more aggressive response from Dietlov. Mm-hmm. As he starts to get closer and closer to the reality that there's probably an inkling in his mind that knows is true. Because mm-hmm. I'm getting the impression Dietlov actually knows shit, like is a competent person outside oh, yeah. of this. Right, right. Because also, I mean, you, you got to think at this point too, even as you're denying it, you're probably thinking back on decisions you've made that you know now with new information going, oh, that might have been the wrong decision. That might have, you know, that was a, a pivotal crucial moment in time and I maybe made the wrong choice and you start to think back on over all of this right absolutely Um, and then there is also this moment uh, right here where they're talking about um, let me pull up the the, the dialogue here you didn't because it didn't uh, are you suggesting the core exploded Fomin asks yes please tell me how an RBMK Mm -hmm. reactor core explodes Fomin asks to which our guy says I can't. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, they, uh, they, they didn't even have a, like a hypothetical model for how that would happen because they really thought the design made that an impossibility. So he's right in saying, I don't know how that can happen. Like, I can't describe to you <clears> the, the exact points of error, the things that failed that led to this. But then I love how he's like, but it did. Like he, yes. he's, he finally is not caving to like, well, I guess I don't know. He's like, no, but it did though. Like it's fucking exploded. 
Right. This is what, what foamine is engaged in. And there's a, there's a lot of these going on in this, in this particular episode of television, which I love. It's logical fallacy, Matthew. <laughs> Let's play what logical fallacy is foamine engaged in. That one be argumentum ad ignorantium. He's appealing to ignorance by suggesting uh, because you don't know, thus means it can't. Right, right. That right. it, it does not add up logically. Right. <laughs> there we go. And that, and that must be enough. Yeah. Story closed. Right. Since we don't know how. Yeah. Which is nonsense. Yeah. Not good, buddy. Not good. Well, <clears throat> our boys are down turning on the water valves <laughs> fruitlessly. <laughs> Yeesh. Slogging through the water, knee deep. Akimov and, uh, and Leonid. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah, that's his first name. I know him as Toptonov and Akimov. I always went last name. Well, not all of them. It is easier that way, normally. <laughs> it is some. Like Vasily, I went with the, the firefighter. Yeah. I know, I'm not being consistent on that, but whatever. And uh, we see Akimov going through the water. Topdinov is with him. He doesn't look well. I'm sorry, Topdinov says. Topdinov. He cries. I think they, they're already having difficulty even turning these valves. They're oh, getting it's, weaker. It's brutal, Ugh. man. You have nothing to be did sorry we? for. You did nothing wrong, but we did. And then we have Sit, uh, Sitnikov on the roof. So there's some interesting interpretations of Sitnikov being ordered to the roof. Mm, yeah, to go look. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I definitely take it as a at least a veiled threat. I mean, the soldier accompanies him all the way up to the roof. He does, and that cannot be ignored. Right, it can't right? be. It can't be ignored. And what sucks about this is we're not, I, I because we're dealing with real people here, we, we, we handle this a little bit differently, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's not to say Sitnikov is not a brave and or heroic person and did not handle himself well and only went up to the core to check the roof because he was threatened at gunpoint. But this, the these but Craig Mazin in the creation of the show seems to suggest that with an armed guard following him to the roof, that he's really being ordered at gunpoint by a superior to go onto the roof. That's right. what I'm seeing in the show. Mm. And and I think and I think people shouldn't even jump to the dramatic conclusion like oh if he doesn't do it they'll shoot him. I'm like they were not just going to blow true. his brains out in front of everybody. True. I don't like, think it's a probably James Bond movie. Them. Yeah. He, he probably would have gotten in trouble for it. Dereliction of duty or whatever. There's a reason the guy followed him up there. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason the guy followed him up there. Right. But and he God, doesn't get anywhere near that fucking thing. No, he doesn't. Even though that's fucking, that's pretend. That's not keeping you safe either. Yeah, that that's extra true. 20 feet. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm 30 feet away from the reactor core. Ugh, versus... Smoke my cigarette and watch him do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what, a, what a heart-wrenching moment. The turn in the red face. Oh, and, and just and the size of that plume just it's just billowing. the way he looks back at the soldier like see i told you now right. are you happy now and now i'm fucking poisoned to death for sure yeah, thanks yeah exactly like before i don't know maybe now no question no question yeah Ugh. but yeah his face his skin is reddening he turns back uh the the oh my god it's never gonna get easier dean dean it's never gonna oh get i easier. know i hear terrible things happen you know Diat love. Good spot by Matt Lewis in the chat. He looks at the soldier with a look knowing the soldier is dead too. It's true. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. He's like, it, I, I think he's more aware that this is, everyone is going to feel this. Like I'm not alone sure. in this. I know how widespread this truly is now. Yeah, man. Yep. hundred yeah. <clears> percent. 
<clears throat> but Dyatlov is also sick. He barfs and is getting dragged yep. out by the soldiers to t- be taken to the hospital. And, and his on, world on becomes his way, a reality. What's that? Those soldiers flanking him are handsome devils, boy. <laughs> a couple of handsome young Russian boys. A couple of beefcake report uh, high, highs right there. Eight, eight to nines on the beefcake report. Yeah, solid. Yeah, good cheekbones, good structure. Yep. But um, yeah, I think this is a great moment for Dietlov to have and for us to see. Yeah, in this moment where he is finally <laughs> physically affected by it, and he's seeing, I think it's Vasily, the same uh, firefighter who's out there starting to collapse, yep. and he looks up and sees the plume as well. Finally, an undeniable reality of this is extremely fucking bad. Right, right. Um, Sitnikov being grilled in no sound. We're still oh, seeing so denial. Right? Even with his reddened, burned face. Brutal. Ugh. Um, we see just the utter chaos inbound at the hospital. And then we go to Valerie Legasov, our man at the beginning, a much younger version, well, a much less sickly looking version. <laughs> right. First deputy director of, uh, I believe, Kurchatov Institute of Atomic Energy. So he's a big shot in the field. Oh, yeah. And he gets a phone call that, that there's been an incident. And uh, this guy is playing it down. No need to panic. Fire, mostly put out. Controlled system tank explosion in the core. He ignores him. Mm, or they continuously the pump water. Any contamination? Only 3.6 uh, rotgen an hour. Oh, that's significant. You should evacuate. That is a gut-punching moment for the audience. Oh, yeah. That and, is and really well-structured. They essentially give him the order to it. He's like, well, you're the expert on the reactors, right? Okay, you're going to be on the committee to answer questions about the reactor functions and nothing else. You're not here to talk about policy. Bye. Mm-hmm. That's it. Hung yeah. up. Gorbachev has appointed a committee to manage the accident. You're on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Gorby. <laughs> uh, we had an exterior shot day, power plant. Akimov and Toptonov are all fucked up. They're manually turning the water valves, barely holding it together. Um, and we get more uh, more establishing shots, and we close out the episode of this really oh. haunting image of Pripyat. Right, and this is also the the brightest and nicest the episode has looked so far. Like we, this is a perfectly unaffected little town right now. Everything's nice it's really and green. well shot because we see Very kids well behaving shot. as normal, and at the same time we see what just looks like a place that is smoldering from a fire that's been contained. Yes, and the dark cloud kind of gathering <sighs> up above. Yeah, you Ooh. mean the the fallout cloud of death? <laughs> exactly. Approaching Pripyat? <sighs> Good gravy. Kids running along to school and then a bird falling onto the ground in death throes. Ugh, poor little guy. Fucking so scary. Poor little guy. And that's Poor that. little birdie. Episode one, man. Hard cut to black after the dead bird. Ooh. What a fucking intense episode of television. Wow. Man. We're in for it. Oh, I'm in. We're, so in, in. we're in for it. We're in for... Uh, we're in for some pain, bro. It's coming our way. Get ready for it. <laughs> some hot guts pain. Yep. Oof. Yep. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I understand that you solicited some listener feedback for this, Matthew. Is that is that true? We do indeed have oh, listener feedback. Well, that sounds very exciting. Why don't you? Um, why don't we? Why don't we do some of that? Do you want to do some of that? Let's do it. All right. Awesome. I've- so. Do you want to uh, kick things off? Why don't you kick things off, Matt? I shall. With Sir Craig Daly. And he says, I know I've posted this elsewhere, but I remember this event unfolding at the time quite well. Despite the around 1,500 mile difference (laughs) and how it would affect me, turns out we did get radioactive rain on Welsh hills not far from where I lived, less than 100 miles. 
It did make wow. me think about what would happen if we had a similar event at Sellafield, a nuclear power station in Cumbria. None of the thoughts were good. The bravery of those firefighters, the outright denial of any problem existing, it does make me think how other governments would have approached this. Relentlessly grim, but compelling viewing. If you have only seen the first episode, then buckle up. It gets much worse. An excellent start to what has become an I Cannot Miss This series. Yep. Good shit. Really good. There's a lot of great comments here. We got a few to get through. Um, let's see. Let's do... You got another one you want to rip off? I got another one ready if you're not. All right, yeah, I got two I can do, but go ahead. All right, from Mr. Conrad Hutchins. Ah, I've always one. been fascinated. <laughs> yeah. I've always been fascinated by Chernobyl for the some reason, and this series is brutal. Having fallen down the YouTube rabbit hole many times when looking at the disaster, this series makes it feel so incredibly realistic. I like the way that the original call to the firemen and the news broadcasts are from the actual source, the original. Uh, this shows amazing attention to detail by the producers. It's also amazing how close we got to a truly apocalyptic explosion if the meltdown had hit the underground water tanks. Damn. <clears throat> um, there's a tail end of a, of a comment from Jason Tick I like, which is, the filming of this is intelligent. They film this as a horror film with the radiation as the monster behind every corner. Look at how the mm-hmm. show begins. We see the blast from the long distance, then we are thrown into the control room. This is so subtle that it puts the U- <laughs> The U.S., this is so subtle that it puts us, capital U.S., in the mind frame of the workers. Quote, what the fuck just happened? End quote. I like it. That's very solid. Um, Hannah a Brown. Great tone. I was genuinely horrified when I watched this first episode, and I haven't got a lot of knowledge about this incident. I was struck mostly by the institutionalized ignorance of the situation and the willingness to completely ignore the facts. Having talked to other people about this episode, some have said that they thought the acting wasn't great, but for me, one, I thought it was great, and two, this... This first episode is more about the gravity of the story than the characters because we don't know them yet. Can't wait to hear your guys' take on this. That's a really good point, Hannah. I didn't realize the acting had been criticized. That's interesting. Really? Hmm. <laughs> that surprises me. Yeah. Um, I got one from Eileen Porco. I think it's pronounced Eileen. Sorry if I fucked that Come up. Come on, Eileen. Oh, ass. Sorry. I'm sure she's heard it before, but you know what? You get no quarter. My name's Dean Martin. No quarter. Yeah, and I'm Mr. <laughs> Anderson, and I uh, nothing heard, yeah. but nothing but it when I heard so, them all. Heard it all. Uh, But she says, the level of confusion and denial is unbelievable. I don't know how I would react to something like that happening, but it's shocking and infuriating to watch. I think what makes the show great is that they're not pulling any punches and trying to make it pretty and TV dramatic. They're showing the real ugly side of what was happening to people in many different levels. Knowing that it happened that way, that people were not given enough information and protection is what makes it scary. Indeed. The confusion. I think that's that's a good point, too, that this show captures confusion very well. Well done, Eileen, I believe. Porco. Um, I don't know if you've—your uh, name does not look super familiar. I'm an asshole if you've posted before and I've missed it, but welcome to the welcome. madness that is LSG Media. You're uh, <laughs> a welcome addition. Um, who else do we want to do? My guy, uh, my guy, um, my guy, um... <laughs> my guy, um, I don't know. My guy marks the panic. Ah. The utter confusion in the control room at the beginning and immediate we-did-nothing-wrong comments explained without saying it how quickly this whole thing went horribly sideways. My recollection at the time of the accident was complete lack of believable information in the beginning because it was, quote, contained. The black suit dude during the Chernobyl town meeting was utterly without human emotion, all while he smiled and praised the socialist utopia. Um, What I like about Mark's comment is the very um, beginning of this because it makes me think back about one of the things... um, that our, our our main guy was saying, Dyatlov, yeah. which is 
in Fomine, both of them, which is like, this is impossible. It's funny to think about this, which is, it's impossible. So if you, if you structure your whole thing around, it's impossible, then you really don't have, what's the contingency plan if it goes tits up? <laughs> There's nothing. You have right. nothing lined up. Right. Like, what, what's impossible, I think about this, I don't have a contingency plan for if my water starts rapidly filling with, if my basement starts rapidly filling with water in the middle of a podcast and it's not raining because that seems impossible to me, right? right. Therefore, right. Matthew, I have no contingency plan for that possibility. Ooh, so if it happens, I'm like, well, what the fuck is happening? This can't be real. <laughs> my feet are wet though. I mean, it makes I'm not saying I would deny it, but I'm just saying I would be ill-prepared. And I'm right. not, I don't know. We're, we're, I mean, the re, it's, it's the Mike Tyson quote, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? That's the truth <laughs> of people. We, we panic. We react differently. Some of us react better than others when, when stress is really turned up to 11. So I'm not suggesting that the Soviets were not prepared for this. What I am suggesting is that based on the leadership's temperament, which is this is impossible, you would almost think, how prepared could they have been for it then? If it's a contingency that they just didn't think could happen. It's not Mm -hmm. like they have great fire protocols, I'm sure. Like, oh, there's a fire. We know how to fix that. Go, fix it. We know, right? And obviously that's a lot less severe. This is like worst case scenario shit. I wonder how often, I wonder how much they, and maybe the series will reveal, did they drill for this? Did they, you know... It's an interesting concept Mark brings up this, we did nothing wrong thing and not just that, but like the complete lack of information. And, and that made me think that just the lack of a contingency for something you just believe is impossible, which is fascinating. Exactly. I mean, I always think about the the Titanic with that, of how they had like a third of the amount of lifeboats than they needed because they were like, it can't sink. It's unsinkable. Oops. These are just for decoration. Mostly we're not going to need them. Yep. Yikes. Yep. Oh, one last one I want to read, uh, even though I think it's a good, it's a good comment about what we've already been saying, uh, from Miss Carmelita McCoy. I love this first episode. It works for me on the same level that my favorite horror films do. Mm. The people of the town coming out to the bridge, drawn by their curiosity and totally unaware of the danger, reminds me of an alien invasion flick. The plant workers moving through the facility reminds me of the supernatural horror where an immensely powerful unseen force is stalking the characters. Of course, the threat depicted here isn't something cooked up by creative minds, which makes it all the more gut-wrenching. Awesome. I think that's a good way of saying it. A, 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 a powerful unseen force makes it feel very like Lovecraftian. Yeah, Got man. that feeling of just like, a creeping dread that you can't quite perceive, but you know it's there. Yeah, it's, all, it's the corner of your eye. <laughs> exactly. Carmelina uh. with a, a good write-up as usual. She's a champ, that one. Oh, yeah. All right, man. Well... That sort of wraps up our, our initial coverage of uh, 123.45, first episode of Chernobyl, the miniseries. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Mm, that I'm just looking forward to the rest of it, and I hereby swear I will at least be slightly better with the Russian names <laughs> next time around. We'll, we'll do Hopefully our we best. Hopefully we get those a little better, a little we'll more under control. Best. We'll do our best. <laughs> uh, so yeah, again, we're not going to have spoilers and stuff because I'm not going to research beyond watching the episode outside of perhaps the companion podcasts. That way I don't, there, then, then there's really no misinterpreting what, 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 uh, Mason might be trying to do here. Um, yeah, that's it, man. So that was quite an episode of television. It's, um, it's really an interesting, it's funny because a lot of the discussion in some of the con in some of the comments was this idea of a horror film setup, but I have a feeling it's going to get pretty dramatic and brutal as it moves on. Oh, yeah. well, um, you know what? One the effects thing. of radiation, boy. Oof. Did you look at all at uh, Craig Mazin's filmography, his film history? Yeah, he does comedy mostly, like uh, Hangover and shit like that. And Scary Movie 3 and 4, yeah, yeah. Superhero Movie. Yeah. 
Whoa. Didn't, I mean, like, wow, you really had, uh, you got the talent in you there, man. Yeah, man. Holy I'm, shit. I'm, I'm, I believe if you want to leave your lane, you leave your lane, man. Fuck, Do it. Yeah. Yeah. And Did I think it, it was mostly writing and screenplays, right? Mostly. He only directed yeah. like one or two others, I think. Still a successful oh. man. He knows what he's Hell done, yeah. obviously. But um, yeah. All right. We're Matthew, we are out of here. Thank you guys very much for tuning in to a little special, uh, a little special miniseries coverage on the science fiction film podcast of the miniseries Chernobyl. We will catch you next week. So that's the plan, right? What, we're going to do one a mm-hmm. week. We're a little bit that's behind it. from the broadcast. So this will run a couple of weeks after it ends. And um, we hope you enjoyed our coverage of Chernobyl. Make sure to check us out on the web, libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net. We love you. Goodbye.